Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Diane, 9 a.m., preparing to board flight 210, commuter flight, 15-seater, arriving in Spokane at 10.15 a.m. One meal, breakfast. Eggs, sausage, toast, jam, juice, and the usual coffee-scented hot water. What airlines do to coffee shouldn't happen to a dog, so I'm packing a hot thermos from the commissary. Case number is 11219er. You'll have a copy of the file on your desk by the time you receive this. Victim... 17-year-old white female, dead, bound, and wrapped in plastic. Cause of death, unknown. Says here she was the homecoming queen. Second victim discovered alive was found across the state line, which is why it's our business now. Suspects are in custody. We'll assess their value upon arrival. Diane, I understand the air is so clear out where I'm going that you can see across two states when it's not raining which is most of the time. So I've packed a pair of the businessman's friend. Totes for the feet. I've been scanning active files for the region. Note possible correlation to a murder last year of one Teresa Banks in the southwest corner of the state. Had all the trappings of a serial killing, except for one, a second body. Maybe this is it. Teresa Banks died a year ago, almost to the day. Stack up the donuts, pop out the pies, put on the trench coat, wrap up the lies. Overcast sky and the pondos swaying, burk at the words on, up in the AM. Got a crack case and a place called Peace, with the lights all blink and your outlooks please. Got a lot of caffeine and interrogating teens, cause the homecoming queen just woke up on the beach. In plastic, white as a sheet. Give a heart attack to a man named Pete. Who couldn't make coffee? Offered it kindly. Tastes like fish, can't put it behind me. Back to the hood, got a mighty damn good. They say something black is in the backwoods. The owls in the skies and the boys in the book out. Just like Yell Street, but you better look out. Nothing in this world can ever prepare me. Think later on, I'm in need some therapy. Talking to myself on a flash scares me. If I'm on a dial, I'll pop like a cherry, 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 cherry. That's right, motherfucker. Word up. This part's so good. So good it is a crime. 
told Tari first he squeezed the little teeth. Was it the baddie Audrey's daddy busy buying Twin Peaks? Was it Leland his attorney always straightening his tie? Was it Norma she's a killer I'm still waiting for pie? Was it Jacoby he's an oldie used to run with the gangs? Was it Harold Smith or was his crime that he's just lame? Was it Donna the elitist packing peaches for James? Was it Bobby Briggs I think it is keep hearing his name? Was it Leo he's a creepo and his ponytail is evil and he got a lot of screen time in the unpopular people. This detective got diminished so they could finish with Keeper but I saw Kristen Davis thinking she got fish in her beaver. What? This part's so good it is a Way there, dream like it didn't do. So I got three clues and a gunshot wound. And I take a bite, bruise, but what you gonna do? The breeze in the trees will squeeze like your soul. Like that shit was taught of control. Murder, she wrote, nobody wrote back. Gotta bust a ghost, no proton pack. That's right, I put a Ghostbusters reference in a song about Twin Peaks. Everybody's happy. This part's so good, it is a crime. This part's so good, it is a crime. Episode 19 of Nerdy Show. Hi, I'm Hex. Triforce Mike. Cap. Brian. And with us on the phone, we have Matt Haley, who is a comic book artist of some renown and also a Twin Peaks fan extraordinaire who almost did the impossible. We'll get into that later. Now, what, uh, what started off the episode was uh, a little snippet of the Twin Peaks main theme, followed by some dialogue by none other than Agent Cooper, a.k.a. Kyle McLaughlin himself. And uh, that those are excerpts from Diane, the twin, the tapes of Agent Cooper, the Twin Peaks audiobook. And we'll be hearing some clips from oh, that, yeah. um, all strung out throughout the episode. Uh, following, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, f- following that, we had uh, the song Twin Peaks by MC Chris, which he released this most recent April Fool's Day. Uh, I, I had actually given up on uh, liking MC Chris's music. I used to years ago, but then I stopped. But this song is easily the the best piece of fan music for Twin Peaks, or in a lot of ways. Definitely, like no, it's incredible. I know. Yeah, he, he uh, MC Chris like he usually just you know does this thing. He's like, ah, I'm a nerd. I smoke pot. And like, and then it's like, oh my god, how many songs can you do of that? Like, I'm I like Fett's vet, like where he's actually just not laying out references. He's just getting d- deep into the mythology of Star Wars, and then he did it again with Twin Peaks. You know, and the Beetlejuice song last year. Yeah, and so it's taken him ten years to get his back into his groove. But uh, you know, Stella gets a groove back. You don't. You don't ask how. <laughs> or maybe, maybe at least once a year, every April Fool's Day, you'll have a decent MC Chris song. Yeah. Which, you know, I guess that's that's okay. <laughs> we got this Twin Peaks song. But enough about MC Chris. Yeah, enough about him. Whatever. He only does one good thing a year. 
Let's talk about Twin Peaks. Oh, my God. Uh, Twin Peaks is one of the greatest television shows ever. It actually redefined um, what can be done with television. And um, the reason we're talking about Twin Peaks now is, uh, first of all, it's Twin Peaks' uh, 20th anniversary this year. But also, the game Alan Wake came out recently, and we haven't been able to stop talking about it. Oh, and of course, so good. It's very, very influenced by Twin Peaks. Um, now, uh, Matt, have you have you played uh, Alan Wake or, or heard about Alan Wake? Uh, I've heard a little bit about it, and I've seen the uh, the Bright Falls, the uh, viral stuff they've done to promote it. Yeah, what do you think about that? The Bright Falls. Uh, I thought it was well shot. I didn't really understand uh, how it was promoting the game. That's just my own honest opinion. But I thought it was very well shot. What what uh, what Bright Falls does is it. Um, it, it explains how a certain dynamic of the plot works. It um, <laughs> that it um, lets you know where the the enemies that you encounter during the game, the Taken, how how they come from and how they uh, how they absorb people. It's kind of I, I understand how viral marketing works. I just always felt like that maybe the game should explain that itself, you know. But again, I, I think it's a clever way to get people into the game. I'm looking forward to trying it. Yeah, I mean, I'm only I'm only like just got through the first chapter of the game, and it. That that stuff is in the game as well. You don't need to see the uh, see that video to truly understand it. But um, it really just psychs you up. Like it, I watched Bright Falls right before playing the game, and I was just psyched. And then when the I started to encounter the Taken, I was like, oh shit! Like, and then it it did explain like why they were taken in game as well. But um, but with both, I was it really just made a. Better experience. But one of the incredible things. So the Alan Wake game is. I'm oh, sorry, gentlemen. So the, the Alan Wake game is basically uh, Twin Peaks, the video game. Is that kind of the the tone? In a lot of ways, one of the the big unifying factors oh. between the, uh, the the two the the show and the game uh, is that they have uh, strong themes about about darkness, fear of the dark, fear of the woods, and um, sort of uh, primal human fears about about the darkness in oneself and the darkness coming to get you. Um, there's a, a many aspects of Twin Peaks, such as the the teenage tragedy of Laura Palmer, and uh, a lot of the say UFO elements um, and other things that don't that don't show up in in Alan Wake. Alan Wake's very selective about the parts of Twin Peaks that it has, but it has the the small town dynamic, um, and it is peppered with Twin Peaks references, and I'll I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but they actually managed to to take some of the strongest aspects of Twin Peaks and make them an interactive experience. First and foremost, the, uh, the, the Alan Wake game is actually interactive storytelling that uses video game uh, contrivances yeah. to, to tell the story. It's a, it's, a oh, sto- okay. yeah, it's a story first and a game second in a lot of ways, yeah. um, which, is, cool. which is what makes it uh, really, like, really strong. I enjoy the gameplay, but I also recognize that it is you know, gameplay. It's a means to an end, but it puts you in the story. It makes you feel threatened as you're experiencing right. these things. Right, like, like a lot of things like, like the combat and, and like the puzzles are very typical video game stuff but the the plot and how you get from point a to point b and the general like looming fear is is almost straight out of twin peaks it feels like yeah the um yeah it's it's i've uh i've played through the the entire game and i loved every minute of it i (laughs) i really i can't even really stop talking about it just because i'm so i'm so impressed with what they were able to accomplish um and uh you know the the world needs more things like Twin Peaks. Even though the game itself exists because of Twin Peaks, um, it has its own unique story and its own unique take on on the concept, which is very original. And I know that the uh, the 
the sort of dark mysteries and the fear of the darkness and all that, they're, they're plots that, that come up again and again. And I know I've written a number of things myself that when I, when I saw Twin Peaks for the first time, I was like, God damn it, someone's done this already? It just, those things happen. Yeah, well, the, I, was playing, uh, I was playing Alan Wake, and the, uh, Alan Wake's wife, uh, she has a, like a fear of the dark. And like I was like I was like what is that called? Everyone says like I'm afraid of the dark. I'm, what is that called? So I actually you know got on my fancy smartphone and like Googled what's uh, what is what the the phobia is called. And it's such a common thing that it that has existed from the beginning of time that it doesn't have a name. Oh whoa! Yeah, there. If you have a pathological fear of the dark, like the, his wife did, it's like nicanthophobia or something. But like that's just such a human thing is to be afraid of the dark, and I thought that was really interesting. Oh, it is interesting. And so I think that it showed up in your writing, it shows up in Twin Peaks. Like, I think that it's going to just show up in mythology for humankind for the rest of time. Uh, It's a similar thing that Alan Wake uh, draws reference from is H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, yeah. Obviously, yeah, with that fear of the dark, fear of the unknown, fear of the the primal, of that, that which existed prior to civilization. And one of the interesting things is combine combine H.P. Lovecraft with sort of the story of, of a successful horror writer like Stephen King, which Alan Wake is in a lot of ways a parody of, uh, not a parody, but a, a reference to. Um, then you have uh, John Carpenter's last good film he ever made, In the Mouth of Madness, which is an H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King-inspired story about what if Stephen King's writings came true. So then put all those together and you have Alan Wake. All in all, uh, uh, an original game out of a concoction of other things that I really love. And so now we're going to uh, play a track, Hex, if you'll let us know what that is. Yeah, I wanted to let everyone know that we will be slowly announcing some Nerdapalooza performers during this uh, episode. And doing so, we will be playing songs from them. Uh, What we have next is Random Encounter, the local video game cover band that uh, is out of Tampa. They came to Nerdapalooza in 2008. Uh, and anyone who went will remember them as the group that cosplayed with the front man looking like a Final Fantasy black mage wielding an accordion. Mm. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. sounds awesome. And this is their track, Song of Storms. And I just thought it was so phenomenal because it actually used an accordion for the Song of Storms from, from Zelda. And that's just so awesome. <laughs>
And what you just heard was Go by Moby. That's from his debut self-titled album from 1992. And the reason we played you a, a Moby song of all things is that this track samples Laura's theme from Twin Peaks. Uh, and it adds a dark groove to a really uh, fun and exciting dance song. If there's ever a song you want to I don't know, having your earbuds when you're being chased by a rapist. (laughs) (laughs) I will keep that in mind next time. Yeah, have it queued up. Yeah, it's like it's like you know you're you know walking through the park or 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 whatever, and uh, you just you just you just put that on because you know you know Bob's gonna be coming out of the the lodge. He's gonna be coming for you. So set on my on my iPod, um, run like fuck playlist. Yes. Yes. (laughs) On the go? No, thank you. No. I like fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, now, I I found out about Twin Peaks years ago, but it took me ages to do anything about it. When, when it actually came on television, I was uh, young, and it would have destroyed me. I'm fairly certain I couldn't have handled that. Oh, that it would have of... totally destroyed. See, here it was an interesting thing because my mom she loved it, right? And she would never let me watch it. Because, and so I actually, I have to admit, I still have not seen Twin Peaks. But all this talk about it, I'm going to go home and uh, queue it up on Netflix immediately. Yeah, and all, to all of our viewers or listeners who haven't seen <laughs> Twin Peaks, um, it's, it's readily available for free on a number of online services, and you should watch it. It is, it is amazing. Uh, Mike saw it the same time that I did. Yeah. Um, at, but... Uh, it was just a little bit before my time. Like, I was all about X-Files, and I would have been all about Twin Peaks. I just, I don't know. Yeah. If it wasn't Star Trek Next Generation, I wasn't watching it. Now, Matt, what was your Twin Peaks experience? You know, I um, I first discovered Twin Peaks when it came on the air. I saw the pilot, and at the time I was watching, oh, God, you know, like Starman, the TV series. What our garbage was on at the time. I was just ready to go to college. <laughs> I didn't even know that happened. That's and, crazy. Uh, Right, exactly, and um, it was just so different. I used to, I used to just go for science fiction. That was all I wanted to watch. And so normally, I wouldn't have gone for something that was set in a small town and was so suffused with Americana. But it was the first TV show that had sort of cinematic storytelling devices, and it. it was such a beautiful show as compared to the other stuff that was on TV. And I was, I've always been interested in film, and I mean that's what I do now. And so at the time, I was, you know, studying film and watching a lot of, you know, Jean Cocteau, Fellini films, and trying to be very artsy. And what I saw in Twin Peaks was just this gorgeous show shot by someone who clearly was interested in cinema as opposed to typical, the way they shoot a TV show where it's a master and then an A and a B close-up. So I got sucked in by the way it looked. And then you get to the second out, that scene in the Red Room, and I was just never seen anything like it. It was so visceral and so deep with its, uh, its visuals and the way that, that David Lynch used music yeah. to tie the story together. So yeah, I was hooked from the very beginning. And then when it came out, the first... Uh, First seven episodes, I think, came out on DVD from Republic uh, Pictures a couple of years ago. To be able to rediscover the show, uh, it was a completely different experience for me. Yeah, it's uh, it was it's just so good. When I uh, I had heard lots of people talking about it, and uh, when I when Cap said, "Here, we're gonna watch this," and he put it on, I was just sucked in by that first episode, especially the the crazy ending with the with the, the backwards right. speaking midget and 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 just. Right. Saying, He's just like actually what Mike what Mike did unfortunately was you saw the European cut didn't you the first I, episode and not for the first I saw I 
what I did was because we had the DVDs with us. Yeah. We were like, okay, we watched that, and then we were in the basement. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then I watched the other version, the European version, because I was like, what was cut out? And st- and what they do is they sh- compress the entire two seasons into like an, a fifteen minute epilogue. Yeah, a hot, hot second. A hot, a hot mess. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> Spoiled some stuff like like Bob and, and certain things, but it didn't really uh, mostly the reveal of Bob, but not not what Bob is or how Bob yeah. works. And so, but yeah, but still, I, it was so good. And uh, man, just you know, yeah, gum you love is coming back in style. <laughs> it's just like so. Bob is really Bob Dylan. Is no, that what <laughs> no, Bob. Bob is a. <laughs> Bob is the creepiest, greasiest, long hairiest, manniest, rapiest man you've ever seen. Yeah. So Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, how about you, Brian? Um, when was your? When did you get exposed to Twin Peaks for the first time? In my crazy college days, but I only got through the first season, and then uh, situations conspired against me watching anymore. I was very sad. Have you still not finished the season? Seriously? I still have not. I've just never gotten around to. It. Oh. It is. Man, I know. I'm a lesser human being before it. I feel bad every single day. Well, you're still a season up on me, man. I love (laughs) Twin Peaks, but it, it, and it is one of my favorite shows, definitely, but it is not a perfect show by any means. Um, because some of the some of the and, uh, you leave you leave the second season alone. It's not that bad. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I just I don't know. Like putting, it, it isn't that bad. I it's I, not that bad. But I'm just saying it's not it's not perfect. Like I just I wasn't a fan of the giant chess. Well, piece. the first seven episodes. I mean, they're they're near perfect as far as hour long television drama <laughs> because they worked very hard to set a tone for the show. And I from from when I was talking to Mark and, and Bob Engels. Uh, they didn't think they were going to get a second season, so they worked really hard to just get to a, a stopping point in their story and establish a mood. And when they got to their second season, they got their deal for, I think it was uh, 14 episodes, 16 episodes, they they ran into the same problem that, say, Battlestar Galactica had in this third season, where they didn't just didn't have enough story. And gotcha. suddenly they were faced with a position where, oh, God, now we got to kind of this out. And that's why some of those episodes in the second season, yeah, they're not the best. They had to kind of have the story out of them. Yeah, and, and I, I get that feeling, and I, I don't really fault anyone involved. It's just... I feel that there are certain things that people might not take seriously. When, when David Lynch and uh, Mark Frost had to leave the the show, as like as far as the full attention went, things things did get a little bit weird. Well, because, hmm? yeah, it's not really what happened. I, I they, they, yeah, they, I don't mean to step on anybody. That's not really what happened. Uh, well, Mark Mark never left the show. Mark was Mark was involved in the show from from A to B. Oh, I thought uh, he was called David away for film. didn't really leave the show until the network canceled it. But it's not like he went off to direct a film or anything. Uh, he was so unhappy with the way the network was treating him that he kind of went on strike. But no, they they, they were involved end to end. But I mean, the guy who was doing the day to day operations it was Bob Engels, who was their executive story editor. And so, yeah. but he had marching orders for Mark and David. All right, here's where the story is going to go. Here's what we want to do. So that's why I find it funny when fans will say things like that, or they'll read interviews where they say, "Oh, well, you know, Mark and David kind of abandoned the show." And that's just simply not true. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought I'd read something that they were both. Uh Ended up having sort of film obligations that sort of not didn't have them leave, but nope. sort of turned the direction away. Okay. Nope. Wow. Well, that's that's still, not until not until the show ended. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's he was in pre-production a while at Heart, but he didn't leave to go shoot it until the show was over. Because hmm. I remember hearing um, some like maybe it could be just like bad like like Cap said bad intel from upset fans on the internet, but Which I just very likely this is probably just the source of it. But I I could have sworn that like some of the actors felt that they had been like. Betrayed. Oh, they did. Absolutely. Yeah, they really did. Uh, again, because when the network 
was it ABC, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, it kept kept moving the time slot around to the show, and they kept telling uh, the writers, you know, you have to solve the murder of Laura Palmer. And, of course, uh, David was dead set against it. He felt that the, the murder of Laura Palmer was incidental to the show. Yeah, he called it the, uh, they he, killed the golden goose. Right. And he, he, yeah, but, I mean, Lynch will admit himself that he's not necessarily a writer. Ever since Dune, he wasn't, you know, he considered himself more to be a visual artist and especially a painter. So he wasn't running the writing room. That was mainly Bob. Bang Cross was mainly involved uh, after the first few episodes as kind of a line producer. He was running, you know, the day-to-day operations of the show and then setting the tone, the broad strokes, and here's where the story's going. But it was mainly Harley Payton and Bob Engels and guys like that that were, that were running the show from day-to-day. I think the reason why the actors might have felt abandoned by Lynch is that, you know, that's, that's Lynch's personality. I understand, I've never met the man. I, I know, you know, his producers really well, his assistants and stuff, and I've spoken to him, but I've never met him. So I'm not talking like somebody who worked on the show or anything, but my right. understanding was is that he had kind of a mercurial attention span, as a lot of artists do, I certainly do, and uh, he probably didn't give... You know, actors are very temperamental creatures, and they want a lot of hands-on yeah. attention from their parents who, on a TV show, are the producers and the lead director. So, but since I wasn't there, I, I don't have any idea. But my impression from everybody I've talked to, especially guys like Bob and Harley, who was there day in, day out, is that David, uh, David List didn't abandon the show. That's, I mean, that is... He's got a force now. That is awesome to, to get it like that, to hear it like that. You just dropped some truth bombs on me. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I feel, I feel much better yeah. about the entire show, better. really. I mean, I do wish that Wyndham, oh, yeah. Wyndham Earl had been as threatening as he was, as say, in, in the, uh, the book, um, the autobiography of FBI Special Agent Dale Cohen. Such a good actor. My God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was a really it, good actor. It's a shame they had to shoehorn him in like that, but I don't know. It worked. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, the only the only. I thought Wyndham Earl was a great villain. I like I liked Wyndham Earl as a concept, and I liked a lot of his scenes. But some of the stuff he did was so cartoony, like yeah, a little bit, yeah. That I I just was like, uh, it under undersold how legitimately threatening he was as a person. Yeah, because I, I you didn't I, like seeing him beat the crap out of Leo with that that uh, cudgel. <laughs> Oh, that was solid. That, or shock him with the, the dog collar. Come on. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. That was definitely good. But it, it was, I guess it was just when he put put a uh, what what was it? Ted Raimi in a chess piece. Yeah, that was that was. Oh right, right, right. I was just like, what am I watching? Is this a Looney Tunes? Where, where's, where's the beer, man? There was gonna be beer. Uh, now, uh, Matt, who's your favorite character in Twin Peaks? If I'm sorry, you, who? Me? Yeah, yeah. It, who's your favorite character, if if you can possibly have oh, a favorite man. character? Oh, man. Well, I really like Big Ed, honestly. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite sort of sad scenes at the very end, when Lynch came back for the final episode, and he basically threw the script out and just directed it himself and basically wrapped up the show. They're all standing there in uh, Ed and Nadine's living room, and Ed thinks he's going to be marrying uh, Norma. And uh, Mike's sitting there with Nadine, and Nadine's had that conk on the head when uh, she gets hit by that sandbag at the theater after the um, the end of the Miss Tween Peaks contest. And she looks around and realizes that she's Nadine again. She's not 18 in high school. And you see the look on Ed's face because he loves Nadine, but he's in love with Norma. Yeah. And he wants to be with her, but he's so committed to taking care of Nadine. And you, know, you can see his shoulders just sag like, oh, no, I'm trapped with this woman again. There's nothing I can do. And I just I like sort of the sad irony of that. Plus, I like but he was a boy. You know, I'd, I'd have to say, yeah. I mean, everybody likes Agent Cooper, and Cooper's a, a fascinating character, but, uh, you know, I think it's Big Ed for me. Big Ed's a, kind of a, an anchor in the show. He's one of the few people who's just a grounded, normal, good person who has some crazy yeah. shit thrown his way. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, there's nothing dark or evil or bad about Ed at all. I mean, even even the Sheriff Freeman had a little bit of a darkness to him, but no, Ed was just a stand-up guy. Yeah. Uh, who's your favorite, Mike? Audrey. <laughs> your, your dick leads the way as usual, I Always, see. always, <laughs> always. I don't know, I think it was when she, like... In the in the pilot, when she just puts on that creepy song and starts dancing to it like a weirdo, I was like, I'm in love. <laughs> I'm in love with this crazy weird girl, and like, and then everything that she did in this in the show, I was just like, really into, and I wanted her and Dale Cooper to hook up, even though she was in high school. She was 18 though; she was a senior. But Kyle McLaughlin, he wasn't into that though. He <sighs> thought that was un- something Cooper would never do. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Wasn't he dating Larry or something? Is she had a problem with it? Uh, I don't. I haven't heard that. That's been a thing. So I I heard that Lynch was insisting that that you know they should get together. That's where he was uh, directing their their plot line, and and he was like, I don't think Cooper would do that. And it was and, Bob. It was Bob Engels. But yeah, I, I got the impression. I can't remember something like like McLaughlin was dating Lara Flynn Boyle briefly right toward the end of the first season, right when that story like came up. You know, where we find uh, Audrey in bed there at, at the Great Northern. And she's she's obviously in love with Agent Cooper, and I got the impression that Lara Flynn Boyle was like, "No way! If that happens, we're breaking up." Huh. But uh, <laughs> it was Ang- it was Engel's idea, to the best of my understanding, it was Bob's idea to do that. I think it would have worked. I think it would have been really fun. Yeah, I, I agree, and I was really hoping that was what was going to happen. It would have really sexy. Be- yeah, uh, my God, my definitely a conflict of interest. He didn't look eighteen. No, no, no. That, none of them look like children. <laughs> in fact, it's awkward when I think like in the first season they actually had some kids who were high school age and that just didn't yeah. didn't quite work. Um, uh, my my favorite character is actually kind of weird. My favorite character is Jerry Horn, just because he's so every scene he's in, I just love everything that comes out of the it. The attorney. Yeah, he's I, when he when he comes into to Ben's. Uh, uh, dining room, and he's got those sandwiches that he flo- flew in from France, and he, everything just stops. And he's like, "You have to eat this sandwich. I hate these." I had four of these today. You have to try this. It's a baguette with brie and butter. I know, and, I, and the whole relationship was about eating food. And the great thing about Twin Peaks, and especially a lot of the stuff, didn't come from Lynch. It was Mark Frost. He wanted to drop red herrings into people's characters so the audience had something to be misdirected by. You know, that's why there were so many quirky characters. And that's the strange thing about the show. A lot of people think that weird stuff is Lynch. It's not. Mark Frost. A lot of the Theosophist stuff that came up in the second season, that was all Mark. Huh. huh. And I wonder if that's why characters with weird eccentricities carried over into X-Files. Because, like, David Duchovny uh, had like... That's a good question, yeah. Yeah, because Mulder was always on the phone with those sex lines and stuff. And it was and just... The porn- no tape. <laughs> right. <laughs> I yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and it was always like, because, you know, he's really, like, he's really into finding his lost sister and UFOs and stuff, but then he is, like, always was getting phone calls from sex lines. And, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's a really good question. No. Uh, of course, Twin Peaks has a massive fan following. The, uh, oh, the, uh, the magazine wrapped in plastic uh, was a really uh-huh. long, 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 long-running fanzine. Um, and just devoted exclusively to Twin Peaks and uh, Lynch and Frost-related productions. And um, and every year, still, since 1993, there's Twin Peaks Fest in North Bend, Washington. Uh, it's happening this year. Which August. I've never been to and I've always wanted to go. Yeah, someday, man. Someday I'm going to go. <laughs> it, this year it's happening it's great. August 6th to 8th. Yeah, um, so far they've announced yeah. they're going to have uh, Michael J. Anderson, the little man from another place, Jennifer Lynch. All right, well, let me stop you right there. Is sure. he still alive? I could have sworn he was dead. I thought so too, but he's on the guest list, so maybe they're having wow. a seance. <laughs> All right. 
They're exhuming him. Just he was, he was great in Carnival. Did you guys see that HBO miniseries Carnival a few years ago? I heard great things about it. I didn't know he was in it. That sounds great. He was, Michael Anderson was the guy who ran the Carnival. And he oh, was, they yeah. Gave him, yeah, no, he did yeah, an they amazing gave him job. Yeah, dreams of that. Like, it's fantastic. <laughs> that's that, awesome. that sounds awesome. Carnival, that, another one that's just totally amazing and just beautifully done. Uh, other guests include Jennifer Lynch, David Lynch's daughter, who wrote The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, which is an amazing book and one of the uh, the greatest pieces of literature about teenage tragedy that I've ever read. It's like it's brutal. It will, this book will fuck you up. Um, and she also actually she has a strong involvement with the Twin Peaks Festival. She debuted her film Surveillance there back in 2008, so it's kind of a big deal. Um, also, they're going to have Kimmy Robertson who played Lucy and uh, Charlotte Stewart who played Betty Briggs. So uh, and that's just the, the guest list so far. Uh, it's a pretty cool experience, but it is a bit pricey because wow. you're paying for the celebrities to be there. They, they feed you, and they take you on a tour bus and show you all the sites and everything. But all in all, a massive experience that I someday hope to you know, have myself. I want to have a massive experience. <laughs> Shut up. It's supposed to be great. It's supposed to be really great. Yeah. Uh, we're going to play some music right now. And um, who we have yeah. is uh, it's they, we made a whole new category of performer for them for Nerdapalooza. Because we got headliners, we got subheadliners, we got normal artists, we got pre-party guys. For these guys, new category, local headliner. That's right. Who do we have performing at Nerdapalooza? Yep, yep. Yeah, oh, wow. Awesome. Experimental giants, Yip Yip, who, who though they are a local band in Orlando, have national attention in the when experimental I, genre. When I first heard about them, it was while I was designing the page layout for them at my school newspaper in Northern California. Yeah. That's when I first heard of Yip Yip. Oh, man. Which one, are, which one are we playing? Uh, these men uh, wear disguises and have just a fantastic performance. Uh, we're playing the song Sprinkle Council from their newest album, Two Kings of the Same Kingdom. Oh, here it is.
Diane, 7 p.m., the Double R Diner. This must be where pies go when they die. Diane, 6 a.m., please add the following sound to my master tape labeled sounds. Canadian geese, Diane. Oh! I think I've been spotted. Goodbye, world, parenthetically referenced, of world Warcraft by Super 8-Bit Brothers. Uh, they're from Chicago, and they are going to be on tour with the Proto-Men. Awesome. And so they'll be here at Nerdapalooza. Yeah, just come funneling it all in, funneling yeah. all the nerd love in. That's amazing. Now, Matt, aside from being a tr- tremendous fan of the show, there's a special reason that we have you here. 
and that is that you are the individual who almost got Twin Peaks a third season in comic book form. How did that happen? Uh, that's kind of like almost winning an election, isn't it? <laughs> kind of unfortunate. That's my that's one of my claims to fame. Yeah, I did. Um, and we we the only reason it didn't happen is that Lynch said no. Um, but it's it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, back when the uh, if you want me to go into it, the, the first seven episodes came out like on DVD. I had been watching the show on like Fear.net or some website or whatever, and just really getting back into it. I hadn't seen it since it had first aired, and I was just hooked again. You know, you really, you, I mean, you guys know what it's like. You really fall into that yeah, world. You yeah, really you want do. to be a part of it. And I started watching the first seven episodes. I bought them, and I'm sitting there watching them in all their glory, and hadn't seen the European edition before. Yeah. I, I remember thinking, I knew that the rights, excuse me for a second. I knew that the rights to the show were all over the place, and, and they weren't under any one roof. But when since they came out with that box set of the first seven episodes, I knew that, man, well, the rights situation has probably been sewn up. I'm, they, they're going to be doing a box set. I just know it. I'm yeah. sitting there watching these episodes, and I'm thinking, that would be great. You know, the show got canceled in the middle of a story. Like, wouldn't it be great if somebody found a way to do a graphic novel of the third season of the show using the writer's original notes and kind of putting the story together? And God, it would be fantastic. And then I paused and went, hey, I do graphic novels. And so for about months, it became this, yeah, it became this kind of intellectual exercise. I wasn't really taking it seriously because I knew I was going to be told no, right? So I started trying to kind of half-heartedly figure out, all right, who has the rights to a Twin Peaks comic book and where do they exist? And it turned out that my old friend Paula Block, who was the Star Trek liaison at Paramount, when I very first drew Star Trek comics for DC almost 20 years ago, she ended up working for CBS Paramount in their licensing division, and it turned out she was the person I had to talk to. She's a friend of mine. Wow. And I told her what I was thinking of doing, and she said, well, let me, let me have a look. I, I, you know, she, she warned me in advance. She said, there's a trail of broken hearts uh, where Twin Peaks ancillary product is concerned, but let me look and see where the, the rights lay. And about a week later, she called me back. She said, you know what? We have the rights to do a Twin Peaks comic book. Now, they're going to tell you no, so I'm going to go ahead and give you the rights. So I didn't even have to pay for it. Oh, wow. So for, I think, about 18 months, I had the rights to do a Twin Peaks comic free and unfettered. But she said, you know, if, if you can get Lynch to say yes, it'll be a minor miracle. So at that point, what I should have done, should have immediately gone to Lynch's office, and I should have said, let me do this, and it would have saved me six months of heartache, because I really, I really wanted to do this. I just poured my guts into it. And that, that's what I get for playing with somebody else's toys. But... Um, what ended up happening is I got a hold of Mark Frost, uh, partly through the guys that did Wrapped in Plastic, and I'm trying to remember who the heck it was I talked to there. I found Mark's assistant like on MySpace or something idiotic like that and got in touch with him. And, you know, I had just finished doing Superman, and I had art-directed that, Stan Lee's Who Wants to Be a Superhero TV show. You know, I had done a couple of things in the media, so they at least knew who I was. I wasn't just some, some guy coming at him out of the woodwork. Yeah. And so I, I talked to Mark, and he said, this is a really fantastic idea. I can't be a part of it because I'm not a producer or writer anymore. I'm a novelist, so I can't write it for you. But if you can get David Lynch to say yes, then go with God. You have my blessing, and you can put my name on it. That's fantastic. It's awesome. Wow. <laughs> so I, um, I, I said, all right, that's fantastic. So I had one half of the two people that I needed to approve the project. So the idea behind it is that even though Frost and List do not own Twin Peaks, they have right of first refusal on anything that has to do with it. That's just the deal they made when they got the show together. And it's frankly an unheard of deal. Yeah. So I thought, all right, if I've got Mark Frost involved, 
I want to wait and I want to get all my ducks in a row and then go to David Lynch, just hoping that, okay, look, we've done all this work. There's no skin off your nose. You're going to get a piece of it. All you have to do is say yes. Well, I didn't understand, you know, the depth of, of David as an artist and how committed he is to his art and how angry he is at ABC for the way he was treated. Uh, but that didn't really come into it. So I've got Mark Frost. I've got an idea. And through Mark, I got a hold of Bob Engels. And like I said, Bob was one of their co-executive producers and their story editor, and he ran the writing room. And he and Harley wrote a lot of the episodes. So I sat down with Bob and had told him the idea. And at every point in the process, when I kept expecting someone to tell me no, they kept saying yes. Well, then Bob said, yes, what a great idea. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry? That's got to be a strange experience. It was, it, was, it was weird. Like I said, I wasn't taking it seriously. And after a couple of months, I had this project that had sort of, you know, grown up around me. So uh, Bob thought it was a great idea. He said, if I could get David Lynch to say yes, that Bob would write it for me. And I thought that was fantastic. Oh, oh, wow. I didn't want to do it, frankly. I'll, I would just, was just going to draw it, and I had a, a, an art and color team together and everything. Um, but I, I knew that I couldn't just do a third season of Twin Peaks written by me. Who cares? I didn't work on the show. It had to be Mark Frost, David Lynch, and especially Bob Ingalls, because Bob, I think in many ways, has more of an intimate knowledge of the show than even Mark and David do, because he wrote a lot of the episodes. Mm. So we took uh, Bob's original notes for what they were going to do for a proposed third season and knitted together, I think it was either a 64 or an 80-page graphic novel wow. that didn't... It didn't necessarily wrap up the story, but it addressed a lot of story points. It did resolve what happened with Cooper uh, uh, being possessed by Bob or Cooper's uh, doppelganger coming out of the Black Lodge, um, uh, what happened to Sheriff Truman, and, and also they wanted to get the high school situation there, so we actually go ahead in time a little bit. So Bob and I knitted together a plot. And then I had to figure out, all right, can I talk CBS Paramount into doing this? So I called Ryan Adams, and uh, I can't think of the, the head producer's name there. Told him we were doing, wow, what a great idea. And you have the rights, so this is fantastic. i tell you what, we're too late in the process to add it to our DVD packaging, but if you can get it printed, we'll buy a bunch of copies from you, and we'll just shrink wrap them with the DVD, which I thought was fantastic. That was with so Top Shelf, I had to find right? a publisher. I'm sorry? And then the publisher was Top Shelf, right? Top Shelf, uh, Chris uh, is a friend of mine. Um, I went to him and said, I've got this idea. What a great idea. So this is going to be new Twin Peaks material. Yes, absolutely. All right, I'll tell you what. We'll, we'll print this for you. And uh, then I went back to CBS Paramount, and I said, great, we'll order 150,000 copies. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you know, we immediately, we immediately were going to be a best-selling comic book. So I had oh a production God. budget. Um, CBS was ready to make it a part of their packaging. I had an art team together. Uh, I mean, I was just going to do little layouts and lazy. And uh, I had the marketing figured out. I was about to do a sort of a co-printing deal, like a limited edition thing with Borders. And it was all looking really great. So, you know, basically over five, almost six months, we had the deal together. And we were just almost running out of time. We would have had just enough time to get it done. It would have been a bit of a marathon, but we still would have made it. And so then finally the time came around. I've got to talk to Lynch about this because I've got to get him to sign off. So I get a hold of him through his producer at the time, Jay Offing, uh, there at Asymmetrical and sent him, we had our book pitch, and I had done some pitch art, which I think is probably on my website somewhere. And I just laid it out for him. Here's what we're going to do. But it, but it wasn't from a standpoint of, I'm a huge fan of the show, and I really want to do this. It was like, this is why this is going to sell. This is why this is no skin off of David's nose. This is why people are going to love it, and we're not, we're not trying to infringe on their marks in any way. But look, we've got everybody else that's involved with the show that wants to do it. I mean, I talked to Angelo about doing a limited edition CD with like a new piece of music. Whoa. Like he was into oh. it. It would have, yeah, I mean, I really needed it to be a 
even though they can't go shoot it, then we can at least do it as a graphic novel. Oh my yeah. So um, I, I sent the material off to Jay, and Jay said, all right, I'm going to give it to David, and I'll call you when, when we get some, some notice from him. And I got to say, it was the longest week of my life <laughs> waiting for the phone call. So Jay calls me, and I'm sure you guys know where this is going. Yeah. I said, well, you know, David thought about it long and hard. And I suppose that's something I can take home with me, is that he thought about it long and hard. Guys like David Lynch get pitched this stuff on a daily basis. And he just says no out of turn. But that, uh, you know, David looked at the stuff that I had done, and he read the pitch, and he really said, all right, I'm going to take this all over the weekend. I'm really going to think about it, because this is a great idea. Ultimately, he just decided that he couldn't or didn't want to continue the story of Twin Peaks in any way. Now, as a fan of the show, I can appreciate that because, frankly, I kind of like the way the show ends. It's kind of a big F you to, to the network for the way he was treated. At the same time, uh, as a businessman, it really crushes me because, man, they would have sold. Yeah. <laughs> they would have been huge, you know? Yeah, so, but ultimately, no, it didn't happen. And that's the story. Wow. So you had the, uh, the entire third season basically plotted out to a certain extent then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think... We didn't really get to a conclusion. I think we wanted to leave an open-ended because we were hoping to maybe do a miniseries uh, after after the DVDs came out. But we did we did get to a stopping point in the story, and it was it was really cinematic. I don't know how far you guys want me to go into it. I, I would love to wring the entire thing out of you if I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's been a couple of years now. I don't have my notes in front of me, but from what I recall, um, Cooper ends up getting out of the Black Lodge, but for the first. 15, 20 pages, we see Cooper's doppelganger. He's not possessed by Bob necessarily. That was left kind of unclear, although that was sort of where we were left with at the end of the show. But, uh, you know, the serial killings start occurring, and it's clear that it's Cooper who's committing them. Oh, my God. Uh, Sheriff Truman wow. comes out of his sort of psychosis, uh, having dealt with um, Josie's death. And he had already kind of gotten back to work, but he was, he was kind of a different guy after that. And and uh, his best friend, Cooper, acting this way, uh, causes him to kind of come back to his senses. And at one point, he has to drive uh, Mike, uh, the one-armed man, backwards through the portal into the Black Lodge uh, to kind of kind of break Cooper out of there. Uh, we find out later that uh, Bob and Mike are from a planet made of creamed corn, which I found was a really <laughs> bizarre image. I don't know how they were going to make that work. Yeah, that, that, um, I've heard that, and that's really confused me for ages. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I know. Cheryl Lee was going to come back as another character, this time a redhead, and she was also going to get killed. But the biggest thing is that they needed to get away from the, the high school stuff. They just felt that that had kind of run its course. Yeah. And so what they were going to do, after Cooper got broken out of the Black Lodge and, and Annie was, uh, was comatose and just didn't, never kind of came back, uh, we cut to five years later. And everybody graduated from high school and we're kind of out of that. Cooper's left the FBI and he's the town pharmacist. Uh, oh. Harry Truman had uh, since advocated being sheriff and was kind of a recluse. Um, ben Horn and Anthropus had given away all of his fortune. And I think Audrey had ended up staying in the hospital for an extended period of time because she almost got blown up by that, uh, that bomb in the safe. Hmm. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm combing my brain and I'm trying to think of some of the other things that happened. But I think the biggest thing is they wanted to get away from the high school nonsense and, and uh, have the same characters in the town but have them have radically different positions in life. So Donna and James, etc., had all kind of grown up, and thereby bypassing them being the Scooby Squad. I, you know, I don't remember what happened to to James. I got the impression that he wasn't really in the story. I don't remember him being in the script that we had. How did Audrey narrowly uh, escape the explosion? It seems so fatal. She didn't. She just was injured very badly. In fact, okay. I think she was either in a wheelchair, kind of like Donna's mom, 
or had a walker or something, but no, she she was she was scarred as a result. We had a scene where Ben Horn and Audrey are side by side in hospital beds and uh, holding hands. I'm trying to remember why Ben was in the hospital. So, when I'm, I'm, I'm sure we had John Justice Wheeler come back. I never really cared for his character. I don't think he added anything to the show. But again, you know, it was kind of Bob's, it was Bob's uh, decision at that point. Yeah. Uh, driving Mike backwards into the Black Lodge was that was that uh, to free Cooper? Is that why they did that? Yeah, exactly. They were trying to figure out a way to force the opening open because it was you, you could only open under certain influences, and, and it was like that particular night was when they could get into it. Um, I'm trying to remember again. I'm sorry, guys. I don't, I don't have the notes right in front of me, but it was a really cinematic scene. It was the sort of thing that I would much rather have shot as opposed to to uh, drawing. But it would have been a lot of fun. Right. Jeez, oh. man. I wish this had come out. <laughs> I know, but you know, there were a lot of fans who uh, didn't want it to come out. When when I started doing interviews about it. I started getting a lot of greed, people saying, well, this would have been stupid, because yeah, that's what science fiction fans are like, you know? Yeah. They're never happy no matter what you give them. Yeah, true. And I, I honestly think, while it would have been a lot of fun, I'm, I'm kind of glad we didn't do it. And there's no point in doing it now. The only reason to do it at the time would have been to promote the, uh, the DVD, the box set. Financially, you know, people don't buy comic books these days in any great numbers. It just would not be worth the time or the money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's... Uh being being the comic shop guy, um, I mean com- comics do all right, but it's m- usually the it's like the tie-ins or the continuations of series and stuff don't really resonate with the general comic reading fans. They resonate with the the fans of that show who also read comics. Right. So they have a narrower right. margin. Right, it's a very narrow margin. It has to be someone who reads yep. comics and also was a fan of the show, and then right. boom. Like, every now and then you might be able to get some crossover, like, you know, some bleed-in because, like, um, Buffy fans or, or Twin Peaks fans are, are sometimes fanatical and they'll get everything. But it it's yep. it's not... If you can do something awesome like getting it bundled with the DVD set, then... then there you go. Then you're, you're, you're solid at that point. You but. know, an interesting almost happened that uh, was discussed with Nerdy Show, though not on the air ever... Was uh, when we were talking to Daniel Way, he told us that he spoke to um, Earl McRock and W. D. Richter, who created Buckaroo Banzai. And um, oh, I know Rick really well. Yeah, yeah. They uh, he said that he approached them with the concept of a Buckaroo Banzai comic. This is back before Daniel Way wrote all the mainstream Marvel titles that he's become famous for. And um, uh huh. And he uh, he got very close, but then I think it was uh, uh, Richter's um, Joe at, Joe at Moonstone. Yeah. Um, so, uh, someone's agent said, oh, no, you, sh- uh, you shouldn't have him do the comic for you. Uh, you can do the comic yourself. And so then, like, Daniel Wake actually kind of lit that fire and then ended up with uh, McRock and Richter doing their own comic, which has been fabulous. If any fans of Buckaroo Banzai are, are listening and you haven't read the comics, you must check out the comics. Yeah, I did the book. cover for the first issue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and as Brian just said, also read the Buckaroo Banzai book. Yeah, the, the much... Yeah. Much like the Twin Peaks novels, the Buckaroo Banzai novel is a wealth of information that will blow your mind. Um, well, uh, Matt, what? Now we've we've talked about what you have almost done. What what are your current uh, projects that you're working on? You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to be a real killjoy and tell you that I can't talk about it. And I know people say that to try and make <laughs> themselves sound like they're successful or they're popular. I uh, I have a God. I'm trying to think of how to describe it. 
it's a black exploitation sci-fi. Uh, how I put it, uh, trailer. I God, I don't know how to put it into words because it, it hasn't been released yet. We're probably two, three weeks away from the release. Wow. Um, I, I God, I can't talk about it. I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, here, in a few, here in a few weeks. Yeah, I, I'm a director these days. I don't do a lot of comics anymore. I, I'm illustrating books. I've got a book out in bookstores right now called Badass. We're doing the sequel, and that's from Harper Collins. Uh, I just uh, scripted another Penguin. That's going to be an interesting book about violence. I just illustrated the Dangerous Book of Heroes for William Morrow. So I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing these days. Comics, just I, I'm out of the business. Yeah. But uh, I'm directing these days. I have a production company. We're getting ready to do a small feature this fall, and I wanted to do something fun to kind of prime the pump with my crew and and my staff and everything. And so we're doing a um, a black exploitation sci-fi project and that's all I can say if I say anymore I'll ruin it I don't, I don't want to be you know the guy who's got a secret it's more just like I don't want to ruin the surprise and when you see it you'll understand it it's going to be all over the web here in about three weeks well so. keep us informed we will definitely pimp that that sounds amazing <laughs> oh sure it's a lot of fun man we had a great time I had some really ridiculously talented actors and uh, we did we did science fiction for, for pretty much no money <laughs> awesome. and it looks great I'm, it's not because I'm some kind of genius I just stumbled across the right people so now I've got this this great production and we're going to go in and make this feature it's going to be a lot of fun awesome well thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us Matt it's been a real pleasure not at all guys thank you so much man awesome okay alright bye bye yeah. yeah thank you man and so the song we're going to play right now is an amazing piece of fan love by a professional musician for Twin Peaks this is Fantomas um, and their cover of Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Now, Fantomas is a uh, experimental metal supergroup fronted by Mike Patton, the lead singer of Faith No More. What? Yeah, this is from their 2001 album Director's Cut, which features a number of metal covers of uh, cinema music. That sounds and of course, phenomenal. Th- sounds amazing. This is uh, the, twi- the Fire Walk With Me theme from the, the Twin Peaks film. I Which, gotta check out this album. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's incredible, and this song will make you, uh, I don't know. Pregnant. It'll, it'll make you pregnant, and you'll wake up in the woods, and you won't know what you've done. Yeah, you won't know what you've done. You're in the woods, and you're pregnant. Enjoy. With a deer. <laughs> <laughs>
so super awesome. We're gonna make love tonight, see? Figuratively! Z put out a compilation called Old Nerdy Bastard. And I had a song on it. And it goes like this. Treating an old song to a new remix Is this one of those? Oh, I don't know, maybe This song is for the, is for the Ladies and gentle women Lend me your ear I love every last one of you, I wanna be clear It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm some fetishist freak But if I had to pick a favorite, it would have to be geeks Those nerdy girls, those oh-so-pretty girls The wordy girls, the love a joke, only if it's dirty girls The flirty girls, the blue jeans and t-shirty girls The bird and nerdy girls, the world of the world I see you in every venue, city and state You're often awfully awkward, baby I can relate When I play cat people live and in your town You're the one in the crowd howling now, now, now Tell me about your kitties, do they fill you with laughter? And which cartoon characters did you name them after? Your house is full of stacks of DVDs and CDs You've seen Star Wars even more times than me Like me, you find some of a bummer You've been bummed since the finale of Six Feet Under Another number bombed hard at my show But you got it, you got a closet full of skeletons You bought it, Hot Topic Can I ride your bike? I like ringing the bell I know you'll dance to hip-hop if you're drunk as hell I know that on a date no one's to talk about sports And if you do have a thong on, it's under boxer shorts How many cis tunes can you recite? In which of your blogs do you most frequently write? Which sci-fi languages can you understand? And which instrument did you play in your high school band? So many ways our similarities are eerie. We share so many paranoid conspiracy theories. You're watching Twin Peaks, you know all the characters' names. Quoting Aqua Teen and playing video games. Couldn't care less about your height or your size. If your IQ's high and you've got four eyes. Twelve-sided dice, elf dies, and I'm loving it. Not in spite of being a geek, but because of it. No. Nerds, I love those nerds. Shadow that Bernardo type to board the birds. Now let me see you shake it. Shake your inhaler, baby. Freaks and geeks, you make me crazy. Nerds, nerds, oh, I love those nerds. Those smuggaloo hits are tied to board the birds. Now let me see you shake it. Shake your inhaler, baby. Freaks and geeks make me so crazy. Ooh, girl. I was thinking about coming by later with a box of white wine and a bottle of grape snapple. Portrait of you out of Legos. You're looking good in a dirty hoodie. Let me see. Is that an ask me about my SAT? Pin on your backpack strap that speaks to me. We passed the hours, Dungeon Master Power TNT. Your new animated avatar looks hot. Wait, I got great big goosebumps. I made your top eight. Great, great. I left a dozen comments, all of them flattering. Like when we kiss, girl, it's like magic. The gathering. Come a little closer, girl. No need to be frightened. I'm not gonna bite, I'm just a little nearsighted You are too Ooh, this ain't gonna hurt I wanna see your silhouette in your strong bad shirt That's as big when we melt the pork And make the queen book as only couple hot nerds Pouring over crossword puzzles Filling letters, wearing sweaters In any weather forever Feel the books of the Lord of the Rings were better You and me, girl, we're gonna have some fun We'll play Simpsons chess and watch season one Hours of risk test, we'll quit when we're done and with the sun comes a daily show rerun I brought my high school yearbook 
You wanna see what I looked like back in 1993? I was skinny and pasty and I had terrible hair. And still do. You too? Do you still have high school nightmares? You a loner, dark and brooding, cruising through school anonymously? Who are you on debate team? Hanging with the drama geeks. Did you take shots? Did the jocks call you Tom? Did you ever dream of blowing up a bomb at the prom? Nerds, nerds, love those nerds. Shallow that but model type to board the birds. Now let me see you shake Shake your inhaler, baby. Freaks and geeks, you make me crazy. Nerds. I've loved every last nerdy girl that's been in my life So much in fact I even made one my wife And my wife's name is also STD It stands for Schaefer the Doctor Cause she's a PhD I love you dorks I love you geeks so Performance at Nerdapalooza of Nerdlust by none other than Shape the Dark Lord, and here to talk to us about his uh, lust for Twin Peaks is none other than Shape the Dark Lord himself. Hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> what's going on, dude? Uh, I am, I am having a good time. I've, I'm just having a killer day today in New York on this holiday. Okay. Is it going to matter that I mention today's a holiday, even though this will probably be You just air screwed up our entire continuity. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You want a wrench in your plans, you call the right guy. Oh, <laughs> well, you know. You are, you know, are a master of evil, so I wouldn't expect anything less. Well, I'm, I'm, you, know, you, never, you never stop studying, so I'm always, I'm always learning new techniques <laughs> at, e- at evility. <laughs> so um exactly uh how did you come across the title of dark lord oh well i um wow that's that's a good question and one to which i've never formulated an appropriate answer Let's so see. and I, I i think it's i think it's best left to mystery that i not try to uh okay. um, were, were you quickly craft an origin drawn into the black lodge and and an evil being has taken over your body and making you do nah. awful things. Yeah. <laughs> now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a theory. Just a theory. You know, when you when you look in the mirror, do you see Bob's face? I'm just. Uh, I I gotta say that my initial uh, the thing that sucked me into that show specifically was the Black Lodge and all of these the evil entities therein. So uh, yeah, it, it spoke to me immediately. Now, it, perhaps it, 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 it could have perhaps been a, a considerable influence on leading me down this path toward the dark <laughs> arts, which I now still indulge in in my adulthood. Well, how do you feel about creamed corn? Creamed corn. Man, creamed corn freaked me out enough as it is already. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in uh, rural Iowa. And so creamed corn already like kind of instilled some weird fear and dread in my heart but then to see it menaced in such a creepy scene with the the little boy magician who clearly is playing david lynch i don't know if you that's sure we all real it's agree on that. son also yeah and he's definitely playing his dad yeah 
It's perfect. Um, boy, that just made cream corn that much more unnerving. <laughs> so it's definitely synonymous with pain and suffering for you. Oh, absolutely. All my pain and suffering. <laughs> cream corn is pretty awful. Yeah. Just... Uh, it is. It's, and it's horrifying. It looks awful. It, um, it should be good because, you know, cream, corn, wonderful things. Put them together, pure evil. <laughs> it... it... It looks like if similar I... Similar situation with corn nuts. Yeah, well, not <laughs> not as bad. The corn nuts aren't as... I mean, cream corn the looks... The worst... Like... No, the worst, though, is creamed corn nuts. Do not do that. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> but seriously, cream corn looks like if I could ejaculate corn. <laughs> like, I you know, that's exactly how I've described it to my grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> like, if Michael could ejaculate corn, that's what, <laughs> this is what it would look like. Brian, why aren't you eating our creamed corn? It looks it reminds like reminds me of Mike's corn like laden ejaculate. <laughs> Look, I got to level with you fellas. I've it's Memorial Day. I've been drinking since 11 a.m. in the sunshine. If you go any further, man, I might I'm not gonna be able to hold anything back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then let's let's change. Uh, let's change subjects. <laughs> Switch gears to the music Nerdapalooza end of things. Yeah, so you just recently, well, a little a while ago, released uh, Manslaughterer, which was a phenomenal album. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I didn't catch that. Oh, <laughs> I said you recently destroy. Uh, destroy. <laughs> destroy. You recently released uh, Manslaughterer, which was yeah. a pretty successful album from at least from my end. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Oh, thank you very much, Heck. I, uh, yeah, it, um, it's been a, it's been a slow burn as far as sales, you know, it kind of came out and a bunch of people said, huh? And, um, it, I feel like, uh, some people have been a little bit more word of mouth with it in the, in the past few months because it's, um, it's starting to, I feel like more people are starting to pick it up, which is great because that means I don't have to enjoy the immediate, uh, um, pleasures of a release date because it's just it just keeps going for about a year because it's like, you know, 12 new people hear it once a season. <laughs> it's spring! I have 12 new listeners! 12? Man, he's, he's outdoing us. <laughs> yeah. He's got three times as many listeners. Shut up. And we listen to our own show. So. Yeah, but you guys, if, I'm just saying, oh, if, you guys, if you guys have ambitions on making it here in Hollywood, you better step it up if you want to reach the non-level of success of mine. <laughs> well, anyone who has... 12 seen... new listeners per season. That's, that's 48 in a whole year. Oh, man. Anyone who hasn't seen Schaefer the Dark Lord perform live... Uh, Needs to attempt to see Schaefer the Dark Lord perform live, yeah, and kill yourself if you just don't, don't think that's feasible. First thing you should do is kill yourself, and then you should make sure you see him perform. As you'll see him in hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he pretty much runs a show down there. Uh, yeah, much like the Lost Timeline, hell is also nonlinear. So, <laughs> yeah, he will be there at some point, and then you will see him no matter when you die. And you, you just <laughs> just go there and just rock out. No, I, I do three shows every night. In hell. <laughs> So simultaneously, yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, it's a hard life. Showbiz is a hard life. I got the first time I saw you perform was 2008. 2008. 2008. Nerdapalooza, and okay. you stole the show, and you oh. you turned my heart black with love, <laughs> and and uh, it was it was amazing. And then 
pretty much uh, one of the best experiences of my personal life was when you played in front of a comic shop and uh, <laughs> turned that um, furniture rent rental store, um, at, which was your backdrop, into just this 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 stage of amazing like uh, just performance of just your on stage energy. Just <laughs> wow, you were getting tripped up. It's so good. It, it's just <laughs> it was. I'm just getting a, a rage boner thinking about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's awesome, man. Thank you. I, you know, I loved uh, Nerdpalooza last year. Oh, yeah, that was last year. Yeah. Um, that was so much fun. Uh, my proper set was fun, and um, getting to do uh, a bunch of those sort of like online collaborations I've done with the people in the flesh was a lot of fun. But that that show at uh, the the kickoff party at the um, at the comic shop was. Such a blast! Uh, the weather was perfect, and you know I had a wireless mic so I could run around the parking lot, and everybody was there, and I hadn't seen everybody in years, so it's this weird, dysfunctional high school reunion thing, and we're all like making out and wearing each other's clothes, <laughs> and then I get to do this show, and there's comic books there, and God smiled upon us all. <laughs> yeah, you tore that parking lot. And that was so much fun. That night was so much fun, and it was just a great way to kick off a. a just the best weekend of last year. And a, a downright spectacular performance. It echoes Mike, Mike's sentiments. And in fact, I'll go on record as saying that Schaefer the Dark Lord is the best live performer in the nerdcore genre. I, I strongly feel that. Easily. Oh, Mike, you just, you're, you're too much and you flatter a boy. There's a, there's, there's a stage presence. <laughs> well, you presence. couldn't $50 to say this. <laughs> well, I am my own least favorite act at Nerdapalooza. My favorite act is always uh, Hex. Uh, and, uh, Especially his descent into madness as the weekend goes on. Oh, my gosh. I love the crescendoing uh, energy of the audience every time we get a second chance to do the high Hex bit. Uh, with, each, with each passing installment of that over Nerdapalooza, it just gets more fevered. I feel like there were people like punching each other like it was a football game. They were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely, definitely, like, the, it, it, the first night, like, the first, it's like, hi, I'm Hex, and everyone's like, hi, Hex, because they're, like, waking up, hungover, but then, like, at the end of the night, when everyone is just, like, rip-roaringly drunk, it's like, hi, Hex, like, you headbutt yeah. the dude next to you, you, you push down the little girl, and you stomp on her. It's like, like they might as well be chanting U.S. today. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is... This is oh no, hello? Uh, yes? Hi. Hi. Hello? Hello? Uh-oh. Hello? Was that one of those death throw things? Answer. Hey. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I don't know what happened. It's okay, we'll pick up the pieces, there's a clean break. All right. Check this out. The last thing that I said, though, which I thought was hilarious, sure, was that at the end of the night, people were chanting "Hi Hex" as though they were chanting "USA." We got that part. Yeah, we got that, and we we all laughed really hard. I think we should go with the first take. I think that was much more killer. The first yeah, oh yeah, it was. There's there's a pretty clean, hilarious. Yeah, there's a pretty clean break. So we're gonna like we're gonna count it, and then I'm just gonna jump in with a with a new train of thought. Okay. Okay. Cool. Three, it's be two, like magical. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, uh, Schaefer, I hear you're actually not just bringing yourself to Nerdapalooza this year, but you're also bringing with you some scantily clad women. I am bringing some very scantily clad women who are awesome. Coincidentally, guys, I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know it's an 800 mile trip, but it's awesome. Um, In New York, uh, I'm involved in the burlesque community. I do lots. I uh, I guest host lots of various shows. But um, uh, last year, my uh, friend Nelson Lugo and I started our own troupe called Epic Wind Burlesque, and it's uh, very nerdy ladies doing very nerdy acts and very nerdily themed shows. Well, I remember the uh, the video game themed one. It's in a very hot Carmen San Diego. Wow. She True. Take, she took off the trench and, coat. Showed the goods. Um, and I don't really. That was uh, that was Lefty Lucy. She's one of our performers, and she was also uh, that in the video game Vixen show, which was our first show. She did a Carmen San Diego act that really brought down the house. Wow, that's amazing. That's, yeah, I don't know. Re- I haven't really confirmed what acts the ladies are going to do with the Nerdapalooza yeah. show, but don't care. Uh, there's a possibility <laughs> that the Carmen San Diego act is coming. But I, I don't know for sure. So Hex, I can't make any. Here's what you need to do to make my dreams come true: book Rockapella now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously, X. It's not too Pella? late. Rockapella, the guys, uh, the guys from the San, uh, Carmen San Diego television show, the Duop Group. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. and she, uh, the, our, uh, her uh, Carmen San Diego act is done to that number. Oh man, <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Sick. A million educational boners were had. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, so we've got. Um, we're bringing, we're bringing um, five members of our cast. We're bringing uh, well, Lefty Lucy, also Magdalena Fox, uh, Miss Mary Sin, BB Hart. Um, and Victoria Privates. <laughs> Every now and so then I get, stage name. I, get a, I get a Facebook invite from you to, like, come to oh, this yeah. burlesque show. And I'm like, oh, my God. There's, like, <laughs> ladies dressed up like Batman. I got I to gotta see this. But it's, like. Rule 63. It's in New York. And I'm, like, yeah. I, I am in Orlando. <laughs> so I just well, close my eyes. There's. There's been this big, like, in, in New York in the past, you know, 10 years, there's been this big uh, burlesque revival, which has kind of spawned this new flavor, of, which is less fan dance oriented and more exploration of, you know, pop culture references and doing kind of weird, challenging material called Neo Burlesque. And these performers have all, are all actively involved in that, in that genre of burlesque, and they've in, it, it kind of indulged our original idea by coming up with acts, these video game acts for our first show. But then since they've just, they've, they're just killing it. They bring it so hard, and they've come, all come up with these new acts for our, our, our cartoon show, our Batman show, and next month, our Ghostbuster show. And they're going to be bringing kind of a mixed bag of these acts for, um, for the Nerdapalooza show. That, so there's a nice cross-section of everything that we've done. Nice. And, of course, the show is co-hosted and co-produced by my friend Nelson Lugo, who is a magician who is doing his, I don't want to spoil anything, but he's doing his portal trick. Oh, nice. Uh, which he did at our video game show. <laughs> and he's coming to Nerdapalooza, too? He's coming, too. He's co-hosting the, uh, the Epic Win set with me. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Is, is there um, a future that you could see where we'd see a Twin Peaks burlesque show? You know, we actually, we've been brainstorming up, like, the future shows that we're going to do. And since you guys got me, asked me about um, Twin Peaks last week, it got me thinking about Twin Peaks again and started thinking, like, God damn! That would be it. Would be so sick to do a Twin Peaks show. Yeah, some uh, uh, some cherry stem wrapping. I've got to sell it to Lugo because Lugo's not. We we pretty much only stick to themes that we can both share in the same levels of nerd passion, right. which is what has stopped us from doing a Star Trek show. Because I'm gonna level with y'all. Never been much of a Star Trek fan. These things happen. So I won't check yeah. you. 
Uh, okay. I'm so not we, I, he's not uh, the big Twin Peaks fan Whoa. that I am, but he's still, I think, kind of open to it. I might have to like strap him down for some weekend and like make him watch the series end to end and say, "Now let's start putting this show together." Yeah, you, <laughs> you could have a girl wrap in plastic. Between fantasy and reality, by the end of that, so yes, do it. <laughs> no, there's so many incredible characters yeah. that would lend themselves to burlesque numbers. You can so do Garzambonia wrestling. <laughs> Diner girls. Midgets. Oh, yeah, backwards speaking midget. Shelly, there would be a Shelly Johnson act, there could be an Audrey Horn act. She gets beaten by Leo. Yeah. <laughs> no, she she pushes up Leo in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. all right, and he wonder- just sits there while she dances for him. And then Leo's a sexy girl, it turns out, and then they make out. Oh, man, with like a bald cap and on it, and a ponytail. The, the, show, the set, the number ends where Leo like pops back in his chair, spits on the floor and says, new shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I would let me tell you, let me, go to New York. I want to tell you, show is what I would do. <laughs> I want to. I want to tell you my uh, my slightly um, uh, uh, pervy story about Twin Peaks. You want to hear that? I do. Yes, I so do. All right. So when I was in, um, it's not even that good, really. But when I was in high school, which was seventy-five years ago, <laughs> I uh, I was never one of those kids that wanted like guys who were like. 20 wise beer. I'd always have these friends that would be like, oh, we'll go get some older guys to buy us beer. So I never really cashed in on having a, a, an adult supply to a minor. But I was in high school when Twin Peaks originally aired on television, and the Playboy issue with Sherilyn Fenn came out, of course, played Audrey Horn on the show. It came out, and I finally was like, that's it. And I went to an 18-year-old, and I was like, and it was like I was conducting my first drug deal ever. I was like, <laughs> I was like dude, come here. Please don't tell anybody this, but Will you please buy me the Cheryl and Fan issue of Playboy? And he did it, and he was cool, and he gave it to me like all stealth-like, and I felt like that was such a badass, and I was doing this such a cool, like dangerous thing. It was awesome. And then I got the Playboy issue, and Cheryl and Fan was naked in it because it was Playboy, and hell yeah! <laughs> yeah, those pictures are awesome. I have totally. seen them on the internet. Yeah. Oh, I might have to go take a little trip down memory lane after this and go check them out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so um so do you have any uh, musical projects in the work works hello 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 hi so oh, sorry. You, <laughs> the question was uh, do you have any musical projects in the works uh in the works no i've um i've been working on some new songs um and I've been, I've started up, I have a backup band for some select shows in New York. It's a, it's a five-piece backup band called the Dark Lords that play kind of rock-infused uh, versions of some of my older songs, but we're mostly now working on new stuff. So that's really it. I mean, I'm, I'm writing my own songs like I normally do, which is slowly. So they I've are gotta, meticulously I've, crafted. What's that? They are meticulously crafted. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think I'm just kind of like, I have a motivation problem. <laughs> so I'm 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 working on new songs. Um, I've I've I'll have a bunch of new songs to to share with y'all at Nerdpalooza. But then I have been rehearsing with my band, uh, the Dark Lords, and we have a we we just did one show with our new bassist, and we have another show later this summer. So that's that that helps me keep my songs feeling new to me because it's not like I just you know kind of come up with the song and then I go and do it a bunch of times I have to kind of learn it a second way and then play it with a bunch of maniacs who live in Queens <laughs> are any of those instrumental tracks uh, gonna show up on the internet anytime soon or have they already 
Um, I haven't. Um, yeah, we only, we only have some rehearsal recordings that we just use for our own reference. And there's a there's a live show that we recorded. Um, but I think eventually, hopefully early next year, once we get like a few more songs under our belt, I might go and record um, an album, uh, a studio album version of all, uh, all the songs with the band and then release it so that I can also try to make money off songs I've already made money off of. Again, ha, ha, ha. The <laughs> American way. <laughs> but, yeah, but I, I do want them to... I, I do want to record something with them because the songs are very much... They, they feel different. There's still enough elements musically to remind you of the source material. They're, they're different, and it, it brings a whole different energy to things, and I think they're pretty... I think, I think those guys are awesome. Awesome. Well, I know I, for one... Just like these guys, I'm really excited to have you back for Nerdapalooza. Yay! I can't, I can't <laughs> wait to party with you. I can't wait to see you live. Do you have any other cool Twin Peaks stories? Uh, uh, in your do mind? I? Well, I can tell you this. I, I told Hex this, bragging uh, on the phone the other yeah. day, is that I was thinking about watching the series again. Oh, on the, uh, we're texting. Um, uh, that was an irrelevant detail that I stopped my story to correct. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, I was talking about watching Twin Peaks again recently as I was thinking about this thing, doing the uh, epic win burlesque show with Lugo. And I uh, was reminded that I, st- I have the entire series, um, obviously. I think a lot of people will have the whole series at home. But I never bought the DVDs. I have VHS tapes. Not VHS tapes that I copied, mind you, but VHS <laughs> tapes that I recorded off of television when the show originally Whoa. aired in 1989 to 1991. That is I still brilliant. have them. I have all of the commercials that were was on the air, <laughs> 89 through 91. So um, I watched these tapes. I watched the entire series multiple times through college. Uh, and then beyond college with friends, it'd be like, oh, you never, never seen Twin Peaks? Well, fuck, buckle up time we ain't got shit to do um but i i have them originally recorded off of abc in 1989 oh, that's fucking wonderful wow wow those commercials must be something special they're crazy i might maybe i'll digitize some of that shit and post it on the internet that would be that would be amazing i think i mean i mean twin peaks fans are you know pretty ravenous so if you were able to post them here's the original section of commercials that aired between like these segments of this episode They'd fucking eat it up. <laughs> I, it I would, know I would. So. It really would. I, it's, it's very easy to manipulate nerds' passion. <laughs> yes, it is. So true. <laughs> oh, you only have to magi- like mention a few magic words that are like, you know, they're always in two words. It's like, original ending or first edition. <laughs> and immediately it's just like their eyes start spiraling like they're getting mem- mesmerized and there's like little vortexes and you're like, ha you're under my spell, Earth person. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I think we've gone, we've gone over for the segment so we will cut it there. Thanks so much. Okay, cool. Really appreciate it, dude. Oh my god, thank you guys. Awesome. Sweet, I'll see you in July. Have a great Memorial Day party. Thanks, man. I can't wait to see y'all in July. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's going to be real. I'm going to be nude. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good night, guys. See you, man. Bye. One, two, three. Some girls are born with looks to kill. Some girls are born with...
intimate scale. Some girls are just concerned with fun. Some girls are like an SNL skit at a quarter to one. What I need is a two-sided coin. She better satisfy my brain as well as my loins. She better wear a tight dress and have a mind that's strong. I want brains and a body. Is that so wrong? When she shows me her brain cells, then my pride suddenly swells. Like a Botticelli chick, she's on the half shell, but she likes getting nasty like Tori Wells. Brains, body, Is very good to try and retain and impress, but I also don't mind a vinyl dress. Two inches watching Japanese, she never has to guess. You may ask why I'm specific. Well, dumb girls make me soporific. I need a brain and a vibe that are both terrific. Like a domain name that's case specific. She's the queen of conversation. I've had a member around face the nation, but she gets on all fours without hesitation. And she got the best seat without a reservation. Is a figment of imagination. She always puts horrors before the car. She can make a point like George Seraj. She can choke the chicken like Julia Child. And she knows how to make my Oscar wild. The shower better ding dang dingle for over an hour. Then calculate binomials to the tenth power. Brains, body, 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 Which one is hiding and which one is handled? So baby, put on a dress that barely fits. Pound and shake your ass and show me your wits. Brains, body, ball. Brains, body, ball. Brains, body, ball. Brains, body, ball. 
What's up, baby? This is Matt Hatter from Scrub Club Records. Right now, you're listening to The Nerdy Show. And uh, if you hang on tight for at least 30 seconds, you'll probably hear Hex Warrior laugh. And it's really funny. He's like, <laughs> he's doing it right now. Listen to him. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Okay, I'll stop. I'm sorry. This is the last song of the night for us. It's called Just a Game. It'll fade. One in a million shouldn't I be proud Like I'm part of the crew instead of weighing it down Just take a number, get in line Just look at myself playing games and then I die And then I had to tell myself that I shouldn't regret this Tell myself that I'm strong for a long time I meant it Even if I met this head on It's endless, senseless It's like a never-ending tension When I get stressed in the middle of things Better with things to with the littlest things It has nothing to do with video games If anything, it helps me get over things So just quit, I'm sick of the disrespect Shoot me down till there's nothing left Go ahead, cause I'm sick of this with Diana and we passed by a Jonah Hex trailer uh, poster mm-hmm. like I'm starting to get excited about it Diana not so much we see a trailer for Jonah Hex I see Megan Fox I'm like oh and she gets excited about it because she has a massive clitoral erection for Megan Fox too. she I loves guess, Megan Fox I guess so she's like she's like monkey toe thumbs booty shorts I know I know and every <laughs> no no all the, the acting is done with those massive thumbs that have their own brains each one, okay? It's like a stegosaurus <laughs> tail. But, um, it, no, I... Megan Fox is the least of your problems with this what? film. Yeah, no, seriously. Is it, is it the giant Gatling guns he has strapped to that pole? It's horse? everything. I, I do mean, have a problem with it. Yeah, that, that, is, that is goofy. But, like, the real... Goofy? The real, the real problem is, is that he's got, like, these weird supernatural powers. What? And you can talk to the dead. Yeah. What? And yeah. that Jonah Hex is not a superhero. No. He's, he's just a cowboy with a fucked up face. I also hate that, like, his eyes are even. 
Like, if you're going yeah. to do Jonah X, one has to be, like, freaking freaked out. Well, you know, that's, that's well, arguing. One like... thing that, that really bugged me about the trailer is, okay, it starts off with his family getting massacred, and so he's pissed off about that, understandably so. Cool. All of a sudden, he also loves Megan Fox. Wow. Which one yeah. is it? Are you... Yeah. Are you He's got a, with rage or with horny boners. He's got like a family that he's upset is dead, but then he also like but not has, that upset. Has apparently. like a favorite um, concubine. <laughs> what? Um, but yeah, yeah. The the I've read a lot of Jonah Hex comics, and this because jo- they're cool, they're awesome. And what they Mostly. are is they're just cowboy stories, right? Unless something stupid happened where he's like you know fighting ghosts or in like like in the weird western tales like he used to do, which wasn't even that bad, and then. You know, one time in the 90s, he got sent into the future, and mm, that was called Hex. See, I'm okay with, like, Jonah Hex in Brave and the Bold. Yeah. Where he's, yeah. Like, he's time-traveling, or Batman's time-traveling, there's some kind of time-travel. Yeah. But I'm okay with it, because yeah. it's Brave and the Bold. Yeah, it's a fun show. But um. And how the hell else are you going to introduce Jonah Hex? It looks like this Jonah Hex movie is based off of two series that came out in the 90s, published by Vertigo, about Jonah Hex, which were not that good um, at all. And Aaron and I were talking about this, and we have a theory that, you know, the guys shopping around Jonah Hex are like, oh my god, Jonah Hex is a brilliant fucking comic, we need to get this made into a movie. Um, they go to the producers, and they're, and they're like, hey, we want to make Jonah Hex a movie. And they're like, oh, it was a comic book? What's comic booky about it? This is just badass cowboy stories. And they're like, no one wants to see badass cowboy movie. And it's like, no, no, no. That's what's cool about it is it's a badass cowboy story, and he's got a fucked up face, and 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 it's just good cowboy stories. Like, why not just do no such thing? They're like, no, 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 no. If this is based off a comic book, it needs to have some superpowers and some supernatural oh, stuff. Where's Where's the glitz? Where are the kids gonna like it? Yeah. And so I think give that- me the Transformers chick. Because they want to make it a, uh, a comic book movie, he's got, you know, weird powers that he inherited from the crow. And, yeah, and it's, <laughs> they basically took, they said, we'll take the crow and the Punisher. And set it in the Old West. Yeah. And it's, I, I like the crow. And I like the Punisher. And I like the Old West. And I like the Old West, but I don't want them all um, uh, living together. <laughs> and pret- and pretending like to be something that they're not. Yeah. I like ice cream. I like corn. I like pork. I don't like them all together. Yeah, I like cream, and I like corn, <laughs> but I don't like cream corn. Exactly. All right, well, what you got for us, Hex? Welcome back. What you just heard was just a game performed live at Nerdopusa 2009 by none other than Steffo of my parents' favorite music, and uh, I'd like to announce that one of the artists returning this year is my parents' favorite music. Oh, yeah. People, what? Yeah, yeah. People may remember. But who are they? Well, it's... it's they're, they're not I know that they're your parents' favorite music, and that's cool that your parents are into this kind no, of stuff. But who, but what, what's the a, name of the band? It's a super group of like Glenn Miller and uh, most of the cast of Lawrence Welk. Um, that's not my parents' favorite music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're all I'm dead. The this is going to get weird. <laughs> my mom. Uh, sorry, I was thinking of the band my grandparents' favorite oh. music. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, sweet. I, I like my great grandparents' favorite music. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, you know, traveling Heart gypsy shot. music and like, <laughs> you know, just just campfire songs and ro- in Romania. <laughs> wow! I hope I never hear that in a dark room. <laughs> I have heard that in a dark room. Speaking of hearing that like in a dark room, <laughs> we learned to like it. What I'm saying. Let's, let's have a little brief discussion about paranormal experience. Why? Well, that's gonna freak me out, man. 
I think you're gonna freak everybody else out. I know you got stories. Oh man, dude, it's like it's like when um B goes down and everyone floods into X. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one. I got one. I got one. Here's my paranormal story. Sure. One time, we're driving down the road. Right, and it's late at night. Uh-huh. And there's no bars in my cell phone, but a call comes through anyway. <gasps> it turned out I had like a fraction of a bar. <laughs> Then who was phone? Who was phone? The call was coming from within the car. <laughs> it was Charlie all along. Oh no, creepy pasta. <laughs> <laughs> so, Twin Peaks had a lot of paranormal elements in it, and in fact, it got you know it had its its, its own mythos to the show, and um, a lot of things it was doing, you know, basically within its own universe didn't pertain to anything outside like right. Sasquatch or anything, anything like that. I thought it was a uh, thought it was a documentary series. Well, yeah, it, it was. Um, you know, the the U.S. government has silenced a, a lot. Well, wasn't wasn't it technically a prequel to the X Files because we see that David Duchovny was a man, then a woman, uh-huh. and, and then, then a man again. again. Yeah, this uh, is true. Man again. That's because he is history's greatest acting robot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one one element that did uh, that of, of legit paranormal mainstream stuff that sh- started showing up in Twin Peaks and didn't actually get the resolution that um, that it needed, like many things towards the end of the series, was um, was UFOs. And uh, there was right because some... they wrapped that up in X Files. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, they're planning ahead. Mark Frost, the co-creator of Twin Peaks, of course, went on to produce Chris Carter's X Files, um, which was one of the the shows that you know is a direct descendant of the filmmaking and uh, cinematic elements that Twin Peaks brought to you, television. I think you mean Mark Snow. You said Mark Frost. Yeah. Wait. Mark Hamill. Yeah. Mark David Chapman. <laughs> Mark Schaefer. Yeah. Exactly. All these people. They all wrote X Files. They're all one person. <laughs> uh, anyone named Mark? Duh. Is it with a K or a C? Yes. Uh, it's a CK. All of the above. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, X Files, paranormal experiences. Right. We we all I think you know between between us we all have some kind of some kind of portal Clash. to. Yeah. I mean, I've I don't have um, anything that's happened to me personally where I could say irrefutably I didn't understand what was going on. But I do have I do have a story passed down to me by my mom. Um, back in the 1970s, she used to. Uh, it, She's very involved with Native American cultures and uh, and history and so forth. So uh, she and my dad were in a in a group of teepees camped out in the forest somewhere. Um, and uh, this is this is creepy already. <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, despite camping out in teepees in a forest in the 1970s, they're both really straight laced. So no drugs or alcohol um, were involved. Oh, now that sounds boring. Um, but the teepees <laughs> were arranged in a circle. Um, and what from the sky must have looked like a circle of light dots in a large, expansive, darkened forest. And uh, they were looking up into the sky and saw this bright light object uh, swoop down in a very, very fast motion and, and hover for a while and then accelerate in kind of an upward arc that is was com- was and is still completely unfathomable for uh, modern aircraft. So given given the uh, the layout of of how they must have looked from the sky, it seems like something that a, a, an otherworldly observer of some kind would definitely be of interest to. And I mean that's 
that's the closest that yeah. that anyone I know has come to some kind of legit paranormal experience, except for you, Mike. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think my phone story was more real. <laughs> well, let, so. well, before we get into the legit stuff, do we want to hear my secondhand story? <laughs> sure. Well, so so you're with your honey, and you're making out when the phone rings. You answer it, and the voice is, what are you doing with my daughter? You tell your girl, and she say, my dad is dead. Then who was phone? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you meant. Okay. <laughs> Take a look at that. Oh man! <laughs> oh, okay, while well, you, you guys are on, man. while you guys are checking that out. Oh, thanks, Anon. That was crazy. <laughs> um, I have never experienced anything paranormal. I'm I'm rather empiricist, so I don't really believe any of this kind of hokey paranormal. What you do stuff? Right. However, my friend Tyler back west. Tyler. <laughs> He's. I don't think cr- Tyler's real. We keep hearing these stories about him, and we, no, no one's is, ever. This seen is him. this is a different Tyler. This is a. This is a crazy man, a crazy man that knew a lot Ooh, about Tyler's physics. you know. This is so made up. No, I know several. Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> move forward, move, move forward. forward. Anyways, keep, and, keep and Mr. Trucking. Bob can collaborate that Tyler's real. Anyway, and that Tyler's crazy. Okay. Tyler has in his closet a whole bunch. This is, the, I saw this one time. He may have gotten rid of it because he, he showed it to someone. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he may have had to go to plan B, which was hiding it all. Really? But he had a closet filled with shoe boxes. All these shoe boxes were labeled different paranormal things. Like there's one labeled werewolves, one labeled zombie, one where labeled UFO, one labeled Frankenstein. And when I tried to correct him on that, that it was actually Frankenstein's monster, he just glared at me. <laughs> no, because Frankenstein. He's Frankenstein's. Yeah, Frank Frankenstein monsters are are you know easy to deal with. Match. You're but done. the the problem the problem is is Frankenstein. Right. He's got a fucking lab. He's just cranking out monsters. It, it might have been it might have been actually referring to mad scientists mm-hmm, that he mm-hmm, just for mm-hmm. ease put Frankenstein. I don't know. Yeah, he showed yeah. me the vampire box and when I asked to see any of the others, he wouldn't let me. But it was it was it was some weird stuff. There wasn't like what you'd expect. Why wouldn't he show you the other boxes? Because in case I turned into one of them. So he was certain you weren't a vampire though. Right. Because, during the because why? He's seen you in sunlight, you crossed the threshold without being invited. I guess. You had garlic on your food. Uh, you didn't count salt when you dropped the yeah, salt sticker. Yeah, count all the, the sunflower seeds <laughs> as they, they as David Duchovny knocks them on the ground. That jerk. Um but yeah, I don't I don't I don't know why he wouldn't show me the zombie one. Because it was pretty obvious I wasn't a zombie, and no. if I turned into a zombie well, I, don't I don't know if it's that obvious. I wouldn't remember it. I, I don't You're know. You're kinda pallid. No, it just it depends on maybe maybe every other item in the boxes was just a gun to kill himself with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the ultimate zombie defense. No and Tyler, no. Destroy yeah. the head before it dies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well Mike, tell us tell us your yeah. ghost story. Okay. Well, I'm gonna preface this with that I'm a complete skeptic. I don't really believe in an afterlife or, or ghosts or anything, but I I kind of feel that there might be like energies that like we don't really know about yet and and might might linger around from traumatic events and and kind of like ghostbusters type stay in the area type thing um, you're into stains yeah i'm into yeah, stains class five free roaming vapors yeah <laughs> exactly that's oof, yeah so um and and we uh my when i was in like high school we uh my family moved into this house and this house was just old and shitty and had like really bad 60s wiring like we actually had to buy converters for like every plug and phone line because there were some weird outdated thing that just the electricity hadn't been updated on 
Um, so we uh, we move in, and uh, my mom. I, I wake up one day, and I had this really strange dream that um, I was little a little boy um, tied to a doorknob, um, and I was in that house, but it looked like it was old, um, like like sixties or something. And I was some some dude was beating me to death, and he beat me to death, and then he he buried me in the backyard. And uh, now I don't know. I've never been tied to a doorknob and beat to death before, so I I just assume, right. I assume my subconscious created that, and I was just like, okay, that's pretty weird. And I come out, and I'm like, mom, I had a pretty crazy dream, and and she said, so did I, and she didn't even let me talk, and she told me the same dream, and I was like, okay, that's weird. Maybe. Gotta go. Yeah, maybe maybe we were watching the same thing uh, that night or uh, uh, years ago and it was in our subconscious and just everything synced up in that day to make us have that dream. I don't know. But then uh, a couple uh, weeks down the road, um, we are we were having, you know, I'm I'm playing I'm playing a video game or something and I and I'm I'm dying because it was hard and I'm screaming fuck, right? And when I scream fuck, the power goes out. And and just on like my breaker, my corner of the house, and I'm like, what the fuck? And so I'm like, what the hell was that? And I like go over to the breaker and I flick it on and I sit down and I'm like turning on the game and I you know I get to that same point and I get fucking killed again and I'm like fuck and, I, and then the power goes out again whenever I exclaim. I'm like, what the hell is this? And my mom being being a little bit actually into the supernatural and the paranoid and stuff, she was convinced our identical dreams was that you know there was a child that was beat to death and buried in the backyard she's like it's it's the ghost it's the ghost of the little boy and he doesn't like it when you're angry and he freaks out and shuts the power off and i'm like that mm -mm, that doesn't that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard you're you are crazy mom you're a crazy person it's it's just this shitty wiring in this house and so um so it happens again and this time i'm furious i'm furious and i go flip the breaker right and I'm just like, don't you fucking do that again. And the breaker, I just watch it like flip in front of me. And that's how breakers work. They just, right. they switch automatically. But it like, as soon as I exclaim, it does that. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I do it and I'm like, fuck you. And it's like, and I like flip it again. And I, and I like, you know, wait, wait a bit. And I'm like, motherfucker. And it's like, and it goes <laughs> off, off again. And I'm like, what the hell? And so, um, so I. My mom's like, stop, stop. She's like, stop, you're just making him mad. And I'm like, mom, you're crazy. You're a crazy person. And so I flip it again, and I and I just go mental. I'm just, I'm like, you motherfucking, you stupid ass piece of shit ghost. Don't you fucking mess with me. I will fucking call the Ghostbusters on your ass. I ain't afraid of you. You're a piece of shit. Uh, and your dad didn't like you. That's why he beat you to death. I'm going to play my video game, and you can suck my dick. The whole house goes, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and so I flip everything back on and I go in my room and I turn on my video game and I play my video game and I die in the same way and I'm like <sighs> and I just don't say anything and then I hear my mom in, in the laundry room which is next to my room where the circuit breaker is and she's going I'm so sorry. <laughs> just don't do that again. He'll be good and, and, I'm, and I'm just I'm in my room. I'm like what the and I'm thinking what the fuck and the only only thing I feel that maybe maybe like the crazy electrons firing out of my brain when I'm excited was getting into the wires or something. I don't know, man. 
I ain't afraid of no ghosts. But there might be little boy <laughs> bones buried in his backyard. Yeah. We, so. we always wanted to, like, dig up the backyard where I remembered being buried and uh, see if we found anything. But, I don't know, we just never got the gumption to do it. Now we moved away from that house. It would be really weird to go into that person's backyard and, <laughs> and dig it up. But it, it might be necessary. It definitely might be necessary. Yeah, I got to... If gotta, you still live there. Gotta no, like, back. no, I'm going to go sneak into this other person's backyard and <laughs> I'm going to... stir style. Yeah, and I'm going to dig up these bones and then I'm going to flip them up upside down and piss on them because that asshole, <laughs> that little shit, was fucking up my game. And, and just in case you want to know what game it was, it was Majora's Mask. Okay? <laughs> All right? All right? All right. <laughs> I see it. I feel that. All right, let's uh, let's do some let's do some music. Let's bring some light to uh, to this. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> well, um, coming up to Nerdapalooza, I do have the bad news that Diabetes, the uh, the new Scrub Club performer, will not be at Nerdapalooza. What? Unfortunately, she can't make it out. However, I do have the good news that Matt Hatter, oh, cool. of Scrub Club, will be coming and performing during the Scrub Club set and. Uh, I guess I can also reveal that uh, Hormones will be playing at the pre-party. Oh, yeah. As will be Kabuto the Python. Oh, Kabuto. With his own set. Kabuto. And then also performing with his own set at Nerdapalooza is none other than Dr. Awkward. Oh, killer diller. So to take us into this musical break, we have Dr. Awkward, Equilibrium performed live at Nerdapalooza 2009. Nice. I want everybody to make a dance circle right here. Because y'all about to get funky. Y'all are brave enough to show off your nerdy dance moves. Who's gonna dance, y'all? Nerd party! Yeah. I want to see some dancers right here. Come on, everybody. Get funky, y'all. Jump, yeah, awkward. Let's go, y'all. Palooza, oh my. Your body. Your booty. The music, nerd party, your body, your body, your body, your booty, your booty. The music, the music, nerd party, nerd party. Everybody in the club, get up off of your booty and dance. Dance. Come on, y'all dance! Everybody in the club. Our last song. Get a yacht for y'all to the party, y'all. Dance. Help me. Cabrita. Your body. Your booty. Your booty. The music. The music. Third party. Third party. Your body. Your body. Your booty. Your booty. The music. Third party, third party. Calling all wallflowers, doors and geeks. It's time to hit the dance floor, shaking like freaks. Push up your buddy Holly glasses, wiggle your asses. Scrub club, represent the nerd masses. All you shy girls, thinking comics is sexy. Give you ten digits when you're ready. Just text me. I see you on YouTube. Shake that booty. Computer love, internet cutie. Come with me to meet a group that includes about a thousand tweety guys. Got a harem of dudes. Oh boys, giving daps with the power of gloves. All you people in the back, where's the love? So what if the opulent kids take your just know that Scrub Club's got your back Go wild and enjoy the skirt party Come on, y'all, come on This is where we are Your body Your body Your booty Your booty The music 
no such luck. Welcome back. Uh, Cap, what did we just listen to? We just listened to a orchestral track from the Alan Wake soundtrack that was Writer's Dream by the um, score composer uh, Petri Alanko. Um, and the, the score throughout this game is just incredible. And um, the game is broken down into episodes, and each episode ends with a, a song. And so there's a lot of, a lot of songs uh, by well-known artists, um, in sort of well-known artists in, an un- in unconventional fields strung throughout the game, and it really is a, a, a wonderful uh, aspect to the game, having these episodes. It's, it, it focuses the storytelling in a lot of ways, which is really cool. Yeah, I f- when I finished the first chapter and the, the, the song started playing, I listened to the whole song. Yeah. I listened to the whole song, and I ate a hamburger. You want, you want I mean, maybe not to eat the hamburger part, but you want to listen <laughs> to the whole song. It's cathartic. If you have a hamburger, eat it. I mean, there there are moments like I mean, uh, later on in the game where you'll need to listen to the whole song in order to decompress. Yeah, like seriously, that's what I felt like I was decompressing. That totally. Uh, have you guys ever um, in a totally weird offset? Have you guys ever seen a serial uh, Agent Lane, the um, anime? Yeah. Totally. In completion. It's like one of the few animes that I approve it totally, of. Totally. Okay, so best friend Bob and I, we took one weekend, we decided to watch it. And mm-hmm. before we watched it, we made some lemon cake, and I totally burned it. So we had burned lemon cake, and we just sat there staring at it while watching Lane. Every time, at, at once an episode ended, we were like, ah! and we grabbed for the cake because we just needed something to cling on to. It, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty um, intense show that messes with the perception of reality. Yes. And it's, it's like, um, what if anime Twin Peaks existed and it was kind of focused on instead of like the alternate reality being some sort of supernatural thing it's kind of like the Matrix like where the alternate reality is a digital reality yeah it's a brilliant show you know Twin Peaks was hugely popular in Japan um, more popular than it was in America in a lot of ways because Fire Walk With Me was actually successful over there. It was like a blockbuster film that was in theaters for months. Like Probably ser- because the Japanese like seeing bad things happen to young girls. Like, seriously? Like, Cap, like, I love Lane, and I never connected it 
to being exactly like Twin Peaks until Hex just brought this up. Like to the point where I'm googling it right now to see if it's an influence. But yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I, I can totally relate to that need of something to, um, a serial experiment lane. Sorry, not agent lane. Thank you, Tyler. Did you say agent that. lane? I said serial. It's it's, it's serial. serial experiment. Serial, uh, serial yeah, I, killer lane. Yes, we all know. <laughs> it's, where, it's where you experiment with cereal. Sometimes you mix the tricks with the cocoa puffs. It is disgusting. Do not do that. But we totally needed also, something. Do to... Do not put orange juice in there. Instead of milk, you will regret it. <laughs> also, also don't do vodka. <laughs> no, do of the crystal skull variety. <laughs> <laughs> then you see Dan Aykroyd's future ghost in your cereal. Oh. Okay. Um, well, actually, let's uh, a little little further divergence. The the influence in Japan for uh, from Twin Peaks was uh, so substantial they even based a Zelda game on it. Uh, Link's Awakening. Uh, and the, the concept of having a town with a cast of characters and sort of a murder mystery mm-hmm. aspect is completely derived from Twin Peaks. They um, fessed up to that recently. Huh. Yeah. Pretty that's, cool. That's pretty... Yeah. Wow. I, I'm on the Googles right now, and it's, it's general consensus. It's, no one's officially said it, but everyone makes the comparison. Between to, serial, to, to Lane? To like, serial Experiments Lane and Twin Peaks. But, but yeah. Yeah, no. I, I got that when I was playing that, playing that Zelda's. That was cool. Yeah. And there's actually been um, we've played uh, a fair amount of music influenced by Twin Peaks, but there's actually some other some other instances as well that are pretty cool. There's a, a experimental ambient band uh, called Stars of the Lid, who have two very long songs arranged between eight minutes and like 25 minutes, I think, long tracks uh, called um, this uh, music for Twin Peaks episode 30, which would be the episode after the la- the last episode. Uh, both some really gorgeous instrumental tracks that will scare you late at night. Uh, and also Anthrax, of all people, did songs inspired by Twin Peaks that they wrote with series composer Angelo Badalamenti. Cool. So, yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah, pretty neat stuff. We were going to have Philip Van, the director of Bright Falls, on the episode. Unfortunately, oh there was a scheduling conflict. Oh, no. We will be able to have some kind of content with Philip Van and Nerdy Show in the future somehow. We're working that out. But I didn't want to have this episode go by without us discussing... Um, Bright Falls, how good it is, and also the connections between Alan Wake and Twin Peaks. You know, it's crazy. So there I am. I'm at work. Don't have all my music. I'm while I'm listening to Pandora. I'm getting Bright Falls commercials. Yeah. And you know? it's it's like, huh? We've been talking about this on Nerdy Show. They're talking about Deer Fest. Yes. It's only two weeks away. Yes. By, by the way, um, we're gonna have a link on the on the website. You can see the full Deer Fest commercial as seen in Bright Falls. With um, that deer, we're getting crazy eyes. Yeah, the deer getting crazy. You can see that whole thing. Awesome. Um, like as though the YouTube was your television and you were watching it. God. Um, <laughs> Bright Falls is so good. Bright Falls is so amazing. Yeah. I'm gonna actually, you know, disagree with with Matt on the point of it being sort of. Uh, Needless in a lot of ways because yeah. there there are there are needless um, viral advertising elements, but I feel that Bright Falls stands alone as as a, a film that can be enjoyed by itself, regardless of Alan Wake. And what makes it even stronger is that it does connect to Alan Wake. You get a firsthand yeah. experience of how someone becomes a Taken. Like you get you understand you understand what it is what that experience is like. And yes, I'm I'm spoiling it a bit. We've been, ta- we've been talking about this so frequently in our in our. Uh, show that show and on our website. That yeah, I'm sh- we're, I'm hoping that everyone's I, already watched it. And if you haven't, well, you'll shame f- on kill you. yourself. But, yeah. but you'll still <laughs> enjoy it nonetheless. It's don't, no, don't don't kill yourself. Duct tape yourself to your refrigerator <laughs> <laughs> and film what you do when you black out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Phil, Philip Van, one of the one of the neat things about him is that he's actually a very young director. Uh, he only has three major credits to his to his name that I know of. I believe he's done some work in commercials, but I don't know for certain. And all by the age of twelve. That's so. Yeah, he's only 12 years old. 12-year-old boy and already a film director. Incredible. Um, Unfortunately, it was past his bedtime, so we couldn't... <laughs> he's, he's a 12-year-old albino boy <laughs> who helps your dad helps his dad change light bulbs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he actually has uh, uh, three um, short films, all of which you can see online, and I'll, there'll be links to them on nerdyshow.com. Uh, and uh, two of them are very, very Twilight Zone influenced, and Twilight Zone is also a major influence of Alan Wake. In fact, there's a television show within the game called Night Springs. Yeah, yeah, Night Springs. I, I watched, like, almost a full episode of that when I was playing the game today, and I was like, oh, I, I need to just keep moving because the Taken are coming for me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to see what happens. Yeah, I was talking about quantum suicide and, 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 and alternate realities and how you kept pulling this gun to his head and pulling the trigger, and it wasn't killing him, and then he would point the gun at a flower pot and blow up the flower pot. I was, and it was like it was totally like black and white Twilight Zone looking like really bad acting like really bad special effects for the gun and I was like this, but it was live action and a it was yeah it's really cool <laughs> so awesome actually um, one of his films Come Wander With Me his most recent short film takes a song from a Twilight Zone episode Come Wa- Wander With Me and illustrates it in its own unique way it's really cool all, all of his short films are really neat and I highly recommend checking them out on our website um now he, uh, Philip Van actually wrote and directed uh, Bright Falls. He co-wrote it with uh, Matt Bunnell, and there, there's also the, the con- contributions of the art director, Ben Wolin. Um, all these powers combined made for an incredible experience. Um, from, what I've, from what I've gathered from what I've read about Phil, um, he actually grew up in Oregon, and uh, they shot Bright Falls in and around where he grew up, so it was, uh, and he was also a Twin Peaks fan, so the whole experience hmm. was very intimate for him. And actually, Bright Falls has been so massively successful, millions of views, millions of views. It has its own level of popularity that extends beyond those who are interested in Alan Wake. Um, I'd say this is an extremely, extremely successful piece of advertising, but also an extremely successful short film that's captured the imagination of the same people who are interested in Twin Peaks and Lost, and that, that group of television watchers who want something mysterious and different. And I, I think, from a, I'm a big fan of looking at advertising and kind of studying it and analyzing it. And I really enjoy the fact that this is this is basically advertising. This is viral advertising and art. Yeah. You, you can you can have uh, advertising that, that passes a threshold, and that's that's you know that's just amazing. because something is commercial in in theory and prospect and production and everything doesn't mean that you can't still make art. Well, and I think I think we saw a lot of this with Lost as well. Lost would have advertisements within Lost but also on other shows on 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 TV that were that, a part of Lost. That were part of Lost that were advertisements for the Hansel Corporation, advertisements for the Dharma Initiative, uh, Oceanic 815 booking information. Well, not 815, but Oceanic Flight. Right. But like, and and those... And were, I want to try an Ab- Apollo bar. Yeah, those were short short films. They were, they were commercials for the show, but they stood on their own and someone who had no idea about Lost would just think they were seeing a strange commercial. Right. Uh, and so, it, it's just... It, I think advertisement can be art. 
Right. If done. If, if done right. Not, it's, it's not even if it's done right. It's if there's the interest to do it. Right. I, I mean, I'm not saying Snuggles, the, the, the bear teaching me about poopy paper, is, uh, is, is art that's just talking down to me makes me want to kill myself. But every now and then, Terry Gilliam directs a, directs a commercial, and even though it's about Adidas sneakers, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Or, or with the, I mean, even on a, on a abstract, not an abstract, but a deconstructionist level, the um, Old Spice, Tim and Eric commercials. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's totally making fun of commercials. It's, yeah. it's bringing it down to a deconstructionist level, where it's like, this is a funny commercial, because this is how commercials are trying to be serious. Yeah. Yeah. Brave Falls rocks. Well, actually, um, uh, on the on the website as well, I'll link an article I've written uh, in the past about just selecting some of my favorite artful commercials, uh, just, just as an added bonus. <laughs> Um, back on the topic of Bright Falls, you right. know, it's it's so massively popular, um, both with and apart from Alan Wake, that people are are asking both the actors who starred in um, in Bright Falls and Philip Van and the other people involved with the production if there's going to be more. Um, wow! And which is you know it's a kind of ridiculous kind of thing to be like, is there going to be more? Someone paid you to do this. Is there going to be more? And but the answer to to everyone involved with it, uh, actors, directors, or otherwise, is. Um, if the fans want it, there will be more uh, because it is very successful, and they would all want to come back and do more, wow. which is which is really neat. I mean, that's no guarantee. Ultimately, Remedy uh, controls everything, and in fact, Bright Falls was an afterthought. Yeah, uh, Bright Falls was made um, earlier this year, around January. And this game has been in development forever since at least two thousand five. Yeah, they were given. Um, uh, Philip Van was given a uh, Alan Wake Bible and basically found what he could work with and told which things he couldn't touch, but but worked with that universe, worked in that universe the same way someone would want to work inside the Twin Peaks universe. Right. Um, wow. So huh, so it's actually rather akin to Matt Haley's story, except uh, oh. except instead of him approaching the creative team, the creative team going, ah, I guess we can do this too. Now, if we were to get more, I mean, I, I guess I need to finish Alan Wake because I don't know what that universe even is yet because I'm only through the first chapter so I'm I'm gonna and there will be more Alan Wake and I'm not just talking about expansions I'm talking about uh, the game ending with almost a, a Bond like caption at the end and this isn't I don't think this will be counted as a spoiler to anyone um, but it reads Alan Wake's journey through the night will continue and mm. I for one am fucking thrilled because oh, I I love everything that they've done with the series, and I love the originality of it. Alan Wake makes you fear the dark. It it transposes uh, just a number of metaphors on on what the darkness is. When you're driving through the uh, through the night in your car, and you know that if you get out of it, the taking could appear at any moment. You feel as though you're a traveler going beneath the waves, and nothing outside the car is safe. And if you damage your car, if your car is damaged, like it's it's your lifeline. When you're when you're out in the night, you're exposed, and you can't see anything. It, the light is really limited. Everything is coming to get you. Wow, it's an it's a, just an incredible immersive experience. And Makes like me I want said, to pick up a Lovecraft. <laughs> uh, it, like I said, it transcends the gameplay. The gameplay, like the the standard video game play, is just it's just the uh, the tool used to put you in this guy's shoes. Yeah, um, and it's you know it's wonderful for it. People people have criticized it for that, um, but it's not it's a non-issue really. It is it is the <laughs> it is my now it is my primary example of what interactive storytelling can be. Because it's so well done, and it, one thing that's getting a lot of a lot of flack is the uh, product placement. That's true. 
um, which I, only, again, only through the first chapter, but I found it only to kind of be subtle. Yeah, all the batteries in the game are Energizer batteries, all the phones are Verizon. Later on in the game, there are some highway billboards for Verizon and Energizer. There is one moment, one tragic moment, that absolutely should not have happened. And you'll know it when you're there. You're, uh, and you need to, and, you know, there's an achievement for watching all the tele- things on TVs. So if you want that achievement, you have to do this. You have to, you have to finish the show? Like I, watch it I'm not sure. Okay, because I'm like, damn it. Um, <laughs> I, I walked away because I was like... All right. Uh, here's here's how this works. Uh, there's a scene in one of the in one of the mid mid chapters, and you're running, and you're and everything the shit is really hitting the fan. You're going through a building, and you see a television, and you can turn it on. If you want the achievement, turn it on. But if you want to f- have a full game experience, do not turn that television on because what you will get is you will get a full car commercial and a full Verizon wireless commercial, which completely derails you out of the out of the scene. In in every in really? every which way, it is terrible. Because and when I turned on that TV in the first chapter, and it was a uh, the the Twilight Zone, and, and that's that's what you'll get every other time. You'll get night you'll get Night Springs every single time. But this one time, at possibly the worst place it could have happened, there's <laughs> there's a bunch of commercials, um, and wow. it's uh, it's no good. But I mean, I that that one like annoying annoying thing, that one stupid thing that shouldn't have happened, is completely. Um, Outweighed by how great the game is overall, like I, I I can I can look past that. I don't have to turn on that television. I don't have to get the Xbox achievement. I did, I did turn on that television. I read about that before I ended up doing it, but I was curious and uh, shot myself in the foot in that respect. So, so I'm I'm right in assuming the boss of the game is the a giant pink Energizer bunny on a Verizon phone. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's the secret boss. You have to get every achievement, and you unlock that secret boss. Oh, sweet. As well as buying a couple of Energizer batteries just to... Uh, I'm sorry. And, like, scanning your receipt and... I'm only buying Energizer batteries now because that's what keeps the taken away. <laughs> I, and, wait, is it an Energizer brand, like, flashlight or something? It is an Energizer brand flashlight. It's a bitchin' flashlight, though. I saw it and I was like, that flashlight looks sleek as hell. You can actually buy that flashlight. I, I hoped so. <laughs> you can you can go to alanwake.com, I think, and there's actually a link to where you can buy a bunch of bizarre Alan Wake merchandise, one of which is a flashlight. I'm, um, I, well, product placement works because I'm going to buy that flashlight. <laughs> Let's talk really briefly about some of the instances of Twin Peaks in um, uh, Alan Wake. Yeah. Well, um, there's we've we've talked about a lot of the the themes that are that are crossover elements. Um, one of the big things that's actually a bit of a distraction from the game is wandering around looking for uh, coffee thermoses. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I had to stop myself a couple times from doing that because it was taking me out of the moment. I'm wander- Mostly what I'm wandering around looking for is I'm wandering around looking for um, manuscript pages. True. Because the manuscript pages are one of their amazing methods of interactive storytelling where you find out what's happening outside of Alan's individual perspective by reading the pages that he's written about what's happening in that moment. And um, sometimes, and sometimes, like sometimes, you're reading what you've just done. Sometimes you're reading what's about to happen, which makes you fear what's about to happen. Yeah, seriously, it's really cool. Whoa! But in addition to looking for those, you'll also accidentally find a shit ton of coffee thermoses. There's a hundred in the game, um, and but what I what I was collecting them for up to twenty five was if you get twenty five, you get the damn good coffee achievement. So because um, that's you know that's what Agent Cooper says. That's what Agent Cooper says when he has has coffee in and, Twin Peaks. And Alan Wake has an FBI agent in it, but he's the complete opposite of Agent Cooper. So much so that in one of Alan's manuscript pages it reads, 
Agent Nightingale didn't want to be in Bright Falls. These little communities revolted him, and he didn't like the trees or the coffee. <laughs> so he's he's the anti Cooper. Yeah, it's like it's like the Alan Wake universe is like the mirror verse. In fact, wow. there's a one of the one of the most glaring, but also I didn't get it until someone pointed out to me. Twin Peaks references is there's a one of the major landmarks of Bright Falls is a snow capped mountain called Mirror's Peak. <laughs> there you Dog. go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, what a, there's also like things like the uh, the lamp lady. Right. Who is just like the log lady. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, in many ways, I'm, like, I didn't believe she was going to be an important character, but she's actually an integral character to the story. Oh, cool. Uh, and she's really, really well done. Like, at first it's like, oh, what a stupid joke. She's like, she's the log lady, but she carries a lamp. But it's actually, it's actually amazing. They took the log lady's character archetype and, and, and did their own thing with it in a very fascinating way. I could imagine. I mean, since it's all about light and darkness, it's this lady who... Probably wants to make sure there's light wherever she goes. Uh, yes, she does, and she tells you not to go down that dark hallway. And she uh, she monitors the light bulbs of the town, whether whether you want her to or not. Yeah, she like like the police department needs to change their bulbs. It's gone away too long. And like she sounds like a crazy person, but then when the shit starts to hit the fan, you're like, oh my god, well, I need more lights. And speaking of la- <laughs> speaking of ladies who talk in high pitched voices, the uh, the front desk clerk at. Um, at the Bright Falls police station sounds just like Kimmy Robertson. Isn't Kimmy Robertson? I looked it up. But, oh, my God. Is uh, she going to tell me to... Yeah. She use, doesn't... Use the blue phone. Not, <laughs> she's, she doesn't have the same eccentricities as Lucy, but she talks just like her, um, which, is, which is really funny. Um, and also, this is, this is one passage that's actually really ominous. That means it's, you can take it at face value within Alan Wake, but the certain words that are used, and I know you're going to know what I'm talking about, Mike, Certain words that are used have a double meaning when you put it into the Twin Peaks perspective. I had no sympathy left. No guilt either. Not for him. I took a moment to savor the scream. I bet I had a smile on my face. It was all that I had time for. The dark presence was inside the lodge with me. Uh. (laughs) Oh, cool. God, I want to play this game more. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> I want to watch Twin Peaks and now play that game. I want to watch <laughs> Twin Peaks on one TV and 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 play uh, Alan Wake on the other TV. Yeah. So this what if you do it the other way around? What if you play the Twin, Twin Peaks, Peaks and while watch Alan Wake? Oh, that, sound, that sounds awesome. You're going to be, <laughs> and I'm going to do it in reverse so I can understand when the midget's talking. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, sorry the episode's gone on long, guys, but I, I guess you'll agree with us that there's been some substantial content here. Wow. Some, some real uh, truth bombs, as Mike said. Truth bombs, mind blows, everything. Well, now that we have you, we're going to do our own little bit of uh, pimping. Because yeah. uh, if you're in the Orlando area, check out Maricon. It's, uh, Mike, do you want to say a little thing about Maricon? It's, it's going to be a, a comic convention. Um, it's going to be part of the, uh, the local gay days here. So um, you can just Google that. I wish I had a, a website. We'll put it on. You the... can you can be gay, and yeah. you can read comic books, and it's cool because this is a gay comic book convention. Yeah, and I mean I don't think this has got to be the only gay comic book convention. That... I think it's the first. I don't know if there's been others. But... That's pretty awesome. But like I don't care what you do. But with it's your a bits. comic book convention. Like vendors and guests are coming, so you it doesn't really matter what you put your wiener in. You can you can just go if you like comic books. There you go. Or you can go if you put your wiener in a certain I, type of thing. Can I, can I show you what I do with it? Like yeah. at the convention, is that is there a booth for that? Yeah, there, well, it's, it's called Mike's personal booth. Yeah, it's just it's a uh, it's it's called um, in the bathroom. It's stall three. I'll be in there waiting. Okay, and if you just want to show me what you're gonna do, yeah, because you you got to vet this process. You can't just have people doing this all. Excuse the pun. 
willy nilly. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, yeah. That sounds professional. I like that. Also, we'd like to mention that, of course, Nerdy Show is going to E3. Oh, my gosh! Oh, my gosh. Mike and myself, and also uh, Colin, whom you've never heard on the radio, but who you will soon meet, um, uh, are going to be Nerdy Show's E3 team. And we're going to rocket uh, to you with video podcasts every single night. Uh, that E three is going on in yeah. California, um, so you'll they'll be on nerdyshow.com, and if everything goes well, they'll be in your uh, downloaded on your iTunes, and uh, we're going to be there. We're also going to be at a number of events that are there, including West Coast Wig Out, which is going to be a major nerd music show. It's uh, sponsored by Nerdapalooza and Nerdy Show. You're going to have the Megas. You're going to have Random. You're going to have some oh, awesome chip tunes. You're going to have Tanuki Suit Riot. Video game inspired Scott. And we're going to incite a Tanuki suit riot, whether the band yeah. is or not. I'm going to be inebriated and in a raccoon suit causing trouble. Okay? I need video of that <laughs> since I can't make it out to that. And Colin will oblige you. <laughs> I'm going to put on my little raccoon tail from my furry suit. <laughs> Unfortunately, the entire costume is that tail and you don't wear anything under it. Well, I just kind of paint myself like, like that unicorn samurai. Just kind of paint myself <laughs> with the with the brown fur on. That's a new level disturbing. Oh yeah. Also, I'd like to point out that um, a little side project that I do is called Media Potluck, and it's a it's a website that my friend uh, Nerdy Show friend Nick Martin Nolich. Um, we we run it together, and we do articles and exposés on seldom heard or attended to pieces of media: comic books, uh, video games, movies, um, literature, anything, music. Um, and this next month, all of June, is Cobra Month. That's the Sylvester Stallone 1986 film, Cobra. Cobra! Not that Cobra. Not that Cobra. The, the Cobra. the Cobra that's a precursor to Judge Dredd. The Cobra that's a policeman who knows that the scum that they get, get arrested are just going to get put back on the streets, and the only way you can really take care of them is to kill them. This is a it's it's a really bizarre um, kind of B film, but but one that has enough points of discussion that we're going to actually have something different for you every single week. That's and awesome. To start that off with, we actually have a podcast just about Cobra, and it's I I actually didn't get to participate in it, but it is an incredible podcast. I can tell you from my own listening pleasure. So, this has been our nineteenth episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. I have been Cap. Triforce Mike. Bye, I'm Hex. I'm still Brian. Thanks so much for listening. And what song are we listening to as we go out? Oh, yeah. How can I forget? We're listening to a track from the Alan Wake soundtrack, and this is by a group called Poets of the Fall. And um, you may know them um, because they're they're kind of Remedy's in-house band. They did a bunch of work for um, uh, Max Payne. And this is them as some characters from the game, a band from the 1970s who were based out of Bright Falls called Old Gods of Asgard. And this is their song, The Poet and the Muse. Oh, wow. Awesome. And uh, stay tuned after this track for a very special goodbye from Agent Cooper. Uh-oh. Enjoy! There's an old tarot with mystery of Tom the Poet and his muse. And a magic lake which gave a light to the words the poet used. Now the muse she was his happiness, and he rhymed about her grace and told the stories of treasures deep beneath the blackened ways. 
p.m. I'm dog-tired. A man can only go so long without submitting to a period of rest. For as we know from experiments conducted on American GIs during the Korean War, sleep deprivation is a one-way ticket to temporary psychosis. And I'm working on a three-day jag. I got so goofy last night, Diane, lying here wondering whether I was going to live or die. 
that I thought I saw a giant in my room. Uh, perhaps that's a story I'll save for another time. This is me, Dale, room 315 at the Great Northern Hotel, signing off.